Hey guys, before we get started, this episode of Beer and Other Shit, the podcast is brought to you by High Season Co., a social media agency with over a decade of marketing experience who are crafting the way brands are perceived online. These guys aren't just marketers, they're liquid enthusiasts, craft beer nerds, hip-hop heads, and Gary Vee disciples. So is your social media looking tired? Are you having trouble getting to your customers? High Season can make it happen. Check them out, highseasonco.com. That's highseasonco.com. Now let's drink some beers. Are you a brewhead? I'm a brewhead. Are you a brewhead? I'm a brewhead. Y'all a brewheads? Yeah, we brewheads. So pour a glass of craft beer. We can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C-Certified Brewhead, and welcome to episode 153 of Beer and Other Shit, the podcast. This afternoon, we are in glorious Brooklyn, New York. This is our first New York podcast, actually. We are at Beer Wax with Chris, the principal owner here. Sir, thank you so much for having it's us, man. Pleasure to have you. Pre- uh, really, really happy to be here, finally. Uh, we were just talking before. We uh, discovered you guys through our good mates, Tio and Benny, of mm-hmm. uh, Crowns of Hops, formerly Dope and Dank. They did their um, the, the crawl for their... Crowdfunding campaign, crawl, yep. stop here, and um, like if you guys watch or listen, you'll know that we sort of participated in that with uh, with the guys, so it was mm-hmm. nice, nice to actually be here, and the, the amazing things I had to say about the place. Oh, that's amazing. Um, shout so, out to you and Benny. Yeah, man, shout out to y'all. Um, so yes, thank you for having us, man. Um, so we're going to start with this little bad boy right here. Let's do it. Let's crack let it us, Let us know what this one's about. This is a really cool concept. Yeah, so this is a, a collaboration brew that we did with Interboro um, and several other, mostly Dominican-owned bars. Uh, in New York, and this is the third iteration of a series now of all beers that have the Prez label in some sense. Right. And the Prez is not necessarily for our president, um, but for Presidente, right? right. The Dominican uh, macro lager that pretty much every Dominican drinks. Right. Um, so this was the brainchild of a, a guy named Joel um, who works at the Sampler. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, I want to brew something that can be. Uh, Really geared towards folks that are not accustomed to craft beer to try to win them over right. that are in our own uh, Dominican community. So uh, we approached Interboro and they were super down with the idea. So the yeah. first one was just called El Prez. Um, the second one was Dead Prez, which, which was a Vienna lager. And then this nice. is a dry hopped uh, Pilsner called Not My Prez. Yes. Um, made a few folks angry. It made a few folks angry. There was a lot of hate <laughs> that, uh, that Interboro received. And crazy enough, the... The original post that showed the the actual label was blocked on Instagram. No you way. had to you had to press one of those things that said adult content, or whatever, a more explicit content. So it was like really strange that that happened. But what if they probably did they get reported? That's what happened. Someone reported them probably, and that is hilarious. yeah. So yeah, it's a lot of hurt feelings over the name of this beer, <laughs> but and you know we said that, listen, this is, again, a series, so it's referring to Presidente, so not my Presidente. Right. Um, but, you know, take it as you will. You know, if you want to so. uh, have your feelings hurt, that's totally fine. Because right. I feel, you know, the same way about our president anyway. So. <laughs> hey, man. Like, it is what it is. And yeah. I guess, you know, it's their brewery. If they want to express some political sentiments with their product, like, yeah. so be it, you know? And they stand by that, so. Yeah, man, good uh, on them. That's yeah. cool. I like that they were down for it. Sure. All right, smells great. Cheers, man. Nice nose. Do you know what the hops are? Oh, God. I wish I remember. I was there for the tail end of the Ooh. brewing process. That's dope. So th- this podcast started from some, something kind of stupid like uh, nine, eight or nine years ago where basically you had to do 365 days of beer and you had to document all the beer with a stupid selfie. So I just kind of kept it going. Oh, wow. Um, so are you going to be in the photo? Yeah, of course. Because we're going to be doing these for Let's all the do beers. it. There we go. I'll hold the beer up here. 
stupid faces. Nice. Bam. Got him. Um, yeah, this is great, man. Nice and... Uh, when did this drop, by the way? This officially this- dropped the beginning of August. Okay, so, so it's fresh. only been... Yeah, it's only been uh, a couple of weeks. Beginning of August, okay. Um, it's always usually to coincide with... Uh, Dominican Independence Day. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah, which, is in, which is in August. There's a small parade. It's not as big as the, the Puerto Rican Day Parade. That's the other one. I was yeah. Thinking. Okay. So okay. it's a smaller parade, but there's a huge Dominican community in New York City. So yes. Um, so there is a parade uh, every year. Right. So in Inipur- it's usually I'm so I'm the, I'm such a bad Dominican. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's somewhere in Manhattan. Somewhere. Oh, yeah. Not in the city. Yeah, somewhere in Manhattan. What's the Puerto Rican one? Is that Manhattan? It's also it's also Manhattan. Okay. Um, but theirs is humongous. So it's I think down Fifth Avenue, which is where like all the major parades are. Right. Um, I guess it's Big Street too. It's yeah. So my wife would be very upset with me. She's <laughs> she's a hundred percent Dominican on both right. sides. Her both parents. Okay. I'm half Dominican. My mom is born in DR, and uh, so. Often people think I'm Puerto Rican. Okay. And, uh, and a lot of my friends are. So my wife just is like, oh, you were adopted by the Puerto Ricans. So. Right. <laughs> to just bring you in. Yeah. I love so. that. It's such a, it's an interesting culture. Like, we don't get a lot of Dominicans in Canada. Mm. I saw, most of the stuff I know about that, to be honest, lately, as dumb as it is, is from, like, Deezus and Mero. Because Mero is... Oh, are you familiar? Yeah, they're the best. I, I, hear, I haven't seen any of it, but I've heard oh, all the time. No. Unbelievable. They're wow. the best. Like, it's like, I listen to their podcasts all the time. Okay. The TV shows yeah. amazing. Yeah. So it's just funny because they keep... Like, we went to Afropunk we, this weekend was why we came here. So on Saturday, there were people out the front. This was this is our third year going to it. And they were selling nutcrackers. Mm, and oh, I, wow. I wouldn't have known what they were yes. if it wasn't for this Mary talking about yeah. it. Because Tiff was like, what the hell's that? And I was like, nah, it's these little drink things. Yep, I didn't yep. really know what it's just like someone just makes it at home. With yeah, like typically, juice and it was a thing that you find in bodegas, right? So like New York City oh, delis. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and it was like usually a homemade type of thing that you would do. And there was like a secret formula. Like they wouldn't want to... Uh, you know, explain what it was, but it was definitely a lot of like different hard liquors mm-hmm. and some kind oh, it's of a mix of stuff. It's a mix of things. I think oh. it's kind of like a almost like you imagine like a long iced tea. It's mm-hmm. a mix of a few different so liquors. It's so it's, it's a cocktail. It's strong, oh. but there's the fruit component, so it's also easy to drink. Right, but it's potent. I guess. Yeah, it's very important. Yeah. So. so and it's uh, I wasn't I, the way they described it was they're not really flavored. You go, I want the blue one or I want the red okay. one or yeah. something. Is that yeah. accurate? T- yeah, typically. And yeah. I'm not a big expert. I'll okay. talk more about craft beer than, yes. than we'll nutcrackers. Get into it. I just think it's fascinating because it's, <laughs> it's really dumb. That's my main Dominican reference. Yeah, no, I mean, from people getting or sick there, baseball or? players, right? Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, all right, how did you get into beer, man? So I um, there it's crazy because I got into craft beer uh, in Hong Kong out of all places. Wow. And I was, you know, like other folks that grew up in the States, I was into a lot of macro beer, um, drinking, you know, Heineken's and, and whatever I could get my hands on. And I didn't really have a palate or didn't have even the exposure to craft beer because it wasn't even that popular yet in New York. Right. Um, there, maybe there were five breweries at the time because this is around 2005. Oh, yeah, early. Um, so pretty early on, I went out to Hong Kong. A friend was living out there. Uh, he took, he was a, he's a big cigar guy. So he took us right. to a cigar lounge. And he wanted to pair the cigar with this Austrian beer uh, called Semi Klaus, okay. and it's uh, at the time it was known as the strongest beer in the world. And right. said that on the label. Yeah, it's a it's a Doppelbach fourteen, I think 05 percent ABV. Right. Back then it was like that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so we had one, and I it was like a revelation because I'd never had something a that was so damn strong in one 12 ounce bottle. Right. Um, but also so uh, just delicious. It was very different in terms of the flavor that I've ever, ever experienced uh, when you just drink a lot of uh, macro lagers. So, um, you know, full-bodied, 
um, on the sweeter side, uh, very mold forward. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had another one. And after two of those, I was pretty, pretty buzzed. <laughs> I bet. Um, but and after that, I, I returned to the States. Now I was on a hunt to find a semi-klaus somewhere in the city mm -hmm. um, or anything that was different from what I was used to. So, of course, there weren't that many craft beer bars in New York. So the few that I visited were like, well, we don't have a semi-klaus, but we have this this Belgian, you know, triple that you might like, or we have this strong ale that you might like. Right. And then I just was like, wow, it was, I was blown away. And that was when my palate started to change. And, Interesting. and it was like, and I, I was a DJ way before that. So there was still that mentality of like digging for something, right? right. Um, of trying to find something that's like, you know, hidden or in the rough, right? Yeah. So um, it was a quest to like, oh, I'm going to go to different bars and find beers that people don't usually find. Right. Yeah. I never thought about that as like yeah. a correlation. Yeah. DJing and digging for... So I think part of the, you know, right. the, the, the marrying of, of the, like those two passions of mine, but I think there are definitely similarities of, of yeah. the two. I never thought... Is that... Do you, is that you realize... Like you were conscious of that I, at the time? Not the time, no. But, but a lot of times when I... In, you know, now in hindsight of like realizing like, oh, this is why I'm such a nerd about certain <laughs> things, right? And that, you know... My nerdum also translates to Star Wars. So right. You'll see some Star Wars figures. Yeah, in, in, uh, so, but, you know, when you get into something, you're passionate about something. Yeah. Like, you will go out of the way to, to really, you know, wait on the line or to dig deep for something. Um, get your fingers dusty. So, right. Yeah. That's, that's sick, man. So, at the time, I guess, if you're saying five breweries, do you remember what they were, even? I want to say that. Like it was definitely Brooklyn? Brooklyn Brewery, I believe, Six Point. Okay. Um, yeah. If you want to include Blue Point as one, because they Before were they out in Long Island. Um, but in New York City, I think Kelso was around at the time. They still, I didn't think I heard of them. I, yeah, they, they're off and on. I know they went through some, some trouble, but, um, but I believe Kelso was around back then. Okay. Um, and I, the other two maybe escaped me. I think Chelsea Brewing Company was still around in, in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Um. But uh, but there really weren't that many options. Right. Um, a bunch of upstate options. Okay, um, that would make sense. Empire Brewing was around. Um, uh, I think Ithaca was around at the time. Okay. So there was still a bunch that were starting in... in uh, and then, of course, like then you're expanding, uh, trying different things from out of state. So I right. remember Dogfish Head was, was, was one of my gateway IPA beers, you know? Right. So, and was there a lot of beer bars then? Probably? No, not really. Not there was even, one eh? particular that I used to go to called Peculiar Pub. Okay. And they would hand you a menu that was like listed by region of the world or right. country. Right, right. It was basically like a, a big binder almost, or like it was pretty heavy and huge. And just to see all the different beers that were across the globe that were predominantly craft beer um, was pretty amazing. So, so that sick. was one that was, and uh, of course, uh, Blind Tiger was around. Uh, oh, that, they're, okay. they're, yeah, they're, they're pretty old. Yeah, yes. so a um, few others that are not around anymore. Right. Uh, but so you've seen essentially been uh, been cognizant, sort of aware, and participating in the New York craft beer scene. Yeah. And watched it kind of grow over yeah. the last fifteen or so. Years. Yeah, I mean, but especially in the last seven or eight, uh, it's, it's crazy, been yeah. incredible. So once you know the the governor changed uh, some laws in terms of making it easier, both for tax purposes and for um, for other specifics that I um, won't be able to get into as much as some other folks, but. Uh, it made things so much easier to open up a brewery in New York State. Right. So that's when you saw the explosion, not just in New York City, but all across the state of, uh, of craft breweries opening up. Right. Um, so that's when you had the other halves opening up and the Finbacks opening up and Transmitter, mm. uh, LIC, all around the same time. And then from there, it's just the explosion, which is so small for our population. Right. 
um, of breweries was, you know, maybe approaching 40. Right um, now? Right now, okay. Um, in all five boroughs? In all five boroughs. With the exception of just, I believe, one or two um, in Manhattan. Right. Uh, one is in, a, in a, I believe, a Greek restaurant. Oh, um, okay. Very small uh, like facility. Like type of situation? Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. a brew pub. Uh, probably three barrels uh, in terms of right. their system. But, um, and Torch and Crown is supposed to be opening up in Manhattan. Okay. That's such a strange place to open a brewery team. It's just like it's going to be some of the most expensive real estate in the world. And that's the problem. And that's that's the problem with New York City in general. Even Brooklyn, uh, you know, even Queens, you're talking about, you know, tens to $10,000 to $20,000 a month on rent alone. So that's pretty great. So you have to guarantee that you are, you know, packing the the tap room and you have some kind of cult following. So. It's a lot of stress, eh? Yeah. It just seems like a, definitely a tough... I mean, that probably explains the, the lack of brewery for the, the population. What that's is the what population? Is. Like, oh, God. I, I, I know it's sick. Probably 12 million. I, I'm totally... I'm, yeah. This is pulled out of my, my ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was in my head... That's probably wrong. I just thought Manhattan alone was like 20 million. But that's not even possible, is it? I, maybe. maybe. Maybe it's yeah. one for the whole... I mean, of course we can ask Siri, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's Who has time for that? Exactly. Okay, so that explains that. So, so um, that's million in New York City. That's okay, okay. I thought 20. That, so New York City, does that mean all the boroughs, or does that mean the um, that means uh, the island? It's twenty million in, in the entire state. Um, oh, oh maybe in the entire state. Okay. Okay. So but, that uh, eight million in New York City. Yeah. Okay. In all five boroughs. In all five boroughs. Okay, that makes much more sense. Yeah. This is eight forty brewery for eight million people. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty. Uh, it's pretty low. Yeah. It's, but, no, it's definitely room for for a lot more. Okay. Especially when you go to other cities, you visit, you know, Portland or you visit Asheville, go to San Diego, yeah. like yeah. it's it's just amazing. You can go to a strip mall and there's like three breweries when you're going <laughs> to try to buy socks, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> which is kinda of crazy. Though to be fair, like I feel like the there's craft beer almost everywhere here. Like I yeah. dare you to find a bar that doesn't have it. Yeah. At least like, you know, two, three options. Which, yeah, yes and no. Because then you may have a bar that that has a few options, but it's going to be Founders Old Day IPA, and that's a that's a great beer. It's a solid beer, but then it'll, you'll have your symbolic few, right? Um, just Which to say, you know, better than I guess. I like I agree. Yeah, I feel like it's still better than just having a B option. That's true. Yeah, so it's mm-hmm. not so bad. Like that's yeah. something the states has over Canada okay. or even like Australia, whereas like it's every single place mm-hmm. would have something. It'd okay. be very very rare to mm-hmm. just have mm-hmm. the A B options. So it's not so bad. Like uh, clearly, people like us would rather yep. this type of menu everywhere. But I mean, like it's a, it's definitely advanced. One of the most mm. advanced sort of, um, what's the word? Like the, the craft beer sort of uh, integrated into society a little mm. more. The average mm-hmm. person is more knowledgeable like, yeah. or drinks craft beer mm-hmm. versus would just have a, a macro lager or something. I, I would Generally hope speaking. so. I would hope so. Yeah. But then when I sometimes do some traveling and then I'll go to a random bar and I'll notice everyone's drinking Bud Light. Right. And then I'm like, and and still, it's percentage, a small percentage of the overall beer sales uh, in comparison to macro beer. It's like twelve, I think. I think, and it's growing, of course. And but overall, the beer beer sales in the United States uh, is slowing down. Yeah, Yeah. I saw that. Yeah, hence the hard seltzers that get. Yeah, and I know, uh, which is crazy because they're still considered craft beer or considered beer product, like malt based product. Yeah, so that's why breweries can make them. I think they make them, and they're considered as part of their their sales volume. Right. So I know. uh, Boston Beer Company is oh, uh, is decreasing. I think they have White Claw, maybe. Uh, is that them? I don't know if it's them because they have they so have many Angry Orchard or they have also. I believe they have Angry. They have a whole bunch. Their portfolio is huge. Twist, yes, that's the one. But those things are outselling beer right now. Yeah, that's why I find it with Dogfish because Dogfish are not. They didn't bother to go, and they still make the fun. Maybe a bit more old school, but they're still like 
fun styles and, and mm-hmm. crazy stuff. Yeah. Then perhaps they would. I yeah. didn't realize that that was uh, like that. The Celta was. Yeah, it's really it's a part really, of it. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. That's why uh, uh, it's great for them to be able to show that they're actually still growing in terms of sales. Right. But it's not necessarily not just beer. beer. No, no. Interesting. Yeah. Do, you, do you get a lot of people come in here for? I, you know what? We I just today. Well, yesterday I was considering like, oh, maybe we need to carry some more of that hard seltzer because it's. Just so so popular right yeah. now, and we had um Miami Brewing Company makes um, a version, right. um, and it did pretty well for us. But I think if we had other versions, but again, I only carry products here that are made by independent breweries or independent companies in general. Right. So I would have to do some research on the Which ownership. Ones. Right. Yeah. Right. So. Right. right. Um, I was going to jump in ahead then. So then, okay, you got into beer in two thousand five. You started yeah. exploring it more. Yeah. Uh, how did beer wax come about? Yeah. Um, so there was a certain point. I was an educator. I was a high school teacher right. um, for seven years, and I, I went more into administrative work within the Department of Education, within education in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at a certain point, I was like, I had this this itch of being an entrepreneur. I went to grad school for uh, social responsible business. Um, I was supposed to open a nonprofit, um, but I still had that seed planted of like of entre- you know entrepreneurship. Right. And I was like sitting one day thinking how dope it would be to really combine the two things that I'm most passionate about. Um, both, you know, hip hop, vinyl records, DJ culture in general, mm-hmm. and craft beer. Right. So I didn't know what that was gonna look like. I don't know if it was gonna be like a bottle shop that was also a record shop. Um, I'm, I was really unsure and it took me a few years to really solidify the idea. Right. Um, but then, and, I, and, the, and during that time, I knew if I wanted to start something, I need to have some experience in the industry. Right. So the first thing I did was get my sister own level one. Nice. Um, so at least have some things. I had no other experience. <laughs> I just had a teaching experience. So, but luckily I was hired by a brewery to do uh, beyond the sales end of things out in right. Long Island called Greenport Harbor. Oh, I've heard um, of them. Yeah. So okay. I uh, just you know going around. I was their brand ambassador and uh, going around to different uh, like pouring at events, pouring and, and having, doing tastings and Sampling so forth. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, um, so that was my start. I always give them a lot of props. I just came back from a quick little mini vacation out there. Nice. Um, and then uh, I worked at fin- Finback uh, oh, out yeah? in Queens. Yeah. So I was a I was a bartender and eventually became the tasting room manager. No way. Which was just instrumental in terms of like having the experience of running a bar. Right. Uh, so I did that for a couple of years, and my full-time job, I was a director of an adolescent pregnancy prevention program right. out, out here in downtown Brooklyn, uh, working for five years in middle school and high school, but we lost funding. So I knew that I was going to be out of a job eventually, right. and I got a severance package, and that was really the kick in the butt to, like, now is the time. Right. Um, so, and eventually, you know, I was writing about beer, I was... Uh, really doing as much as I could to throw myself into the culture, meeting a lot of people. When I worked at Finback, I just met a lot of people uh, in the New York City scene. At that, right? Um, and then I, when I was, you know, really gung ho about opening up a space, uh, I just spread that gospel of beerwax. You know, right. like I am doing this, and there is no stopping me. Nice. Um, and uh, and it's it's been a, a tough road. It's not easy to, to open up a business in New York City. No, I bet. Um, Particularly in alcohol with permits on yeah. top of all the other nonsense you have to exactly. deal with. Yeah. But um, I think my wife would have divorced me if it, <laughs> if it didn't <laughs> happen. She, you know, there were other failed ideas and projects. Right. Uh, so she was really a huge support to be like, listen, we're sacrificing, I'm sacrificing, the family's sacrificing a lot to make sure that you're getting this dream off the ground. Mm-hmm. So I hope that you actually make this happen. Right, so it's a bit of pressure. Yeah, a little bit of pressure. (laughs) 
So then uh, we were talking earlier, so you found the space at the uh, end of 2017? Yeah. So And we were looking for almost a whole year. Oh, yeah? For real estate. Right. Because it's like, if you imagine looking for an apartment in, in New York City and how cutthroat that is. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to okay. Craigslist or go to a realtor and you're going looking at apartments and then, oh, sorry, someone signed the lease already. So it's, it's similar. Um, you meet different brokers that you go and look at spots and some look great and the others you realize... Um, doesn't have a certificate of occupancy mm-hmm. designated for alcohol and right. restaurants. And that's so, and they won't tell you that. They'll just say like, oh, no, this is a great space. This would this be great for your bar. Mm-hmm. Until you dig a little bit deeper and realize like, oh, it'll probably take me a whole year just to get the Department of Buildings to change over the CFO. Right. Um, so we have to be very careful, A, with locations in New York City, how much rent you're going to have to pay. Um, and so we were locked into a whole negotiation for a space right down the block from Roberta's Pizza on mm-hmm. Moore Street in Bushwick. Right. And we were super excited about the space. It was a great location. We really liked Bushwick. My, my wife was born and raised in Bushwick. Uh, we lived in Bushwick together. So it was a lot of history in that neighborhood for us. Right. Uh, my mother-in-law and father-in-law still live in Bushwick. So we're there quite frequently. So we were excited, but things just were in a stalemate with the space right. over that same issue, the certificate of occupancy. Yeah. Um, and noise was another big thing. Right, they didn't and want to buy. They didn't want. They knew that our focus was music and DJs and so right. forth. So they put a clause in the lease that stated that if we went over a certain number of decibel levels, and we didn't cure, that we can be evicted. Wow! So Not even just a, a fine, like actually, it, there was a fine. But then if if we did it again, we could be evicted the second time. Right. So, and the crazy thing was, is that it was there was nothing above us. Just on the side of us, there were businesses like, like shared office spaces. Most times, I imagine those people will be gone by the time we have DJs. But, right. um, but I do know some people work way past uh, 9 o'clock these days. Yeah, it's a little, uh, little nuts, I can't. Yeah. But still, I mean, that seems a little... Ridic- do you think it was like they just didn't want... Because I've heard this before, they, people can, they just don't want a type of business in there. Um, they, they, I mean, we were deep into negotiations with lawyers involved, with oh, right. the architects there. So they were ready to sign the lease, but it was still... We were just waiting and waiting and waiting. Mm. So during that waiting game, I still... I was, you know, just had my eyes open for other spaces, and we found this space in a whole right. different part of Brooklyn. But when I went to the backyard, well, when I saw there was a backyard, like, and saw how beautiful, and at the time there were grapes growing. growing from that? So we have grapes right now in the back That's... that are going to be harvested in about two weeks. Um, I, th- I think this is it. I was like, this, it just felt so right. When your gut knows, your gut knows. And, Hell yeah. Um, and I went after it very aggressively. I, mm-hmm. you know, the broker, I, I was like, I need the space. We want the space. Let me meet the landlords. And we met the landlords and had an interview with them. They wanted to make sure that, you know, we had a viable business model and the rest uh, was history. That's amazing. Yeah. And so that was end of, I think you said October? This was, yeah. So we signed the lease at the end of August and then it took August us about three months to get everything together, to wait for a liquor license, to do our renovations. And then we had a soft opening on December 13th of uh, 2017. Damn. So, so it'll be almost two years coming up. Except, oh, nice. Are you yeah. going to party? We, oh, yeah, we'll party. always have a, like an annual party. Yeah, you got to um, do it up. We got to do it up. Yeah? yeah. Any uh, um, collab brews or something planned? Yeah. Special, yeah? Yeah, definitely have some things up our sleeve. Yeah? yeah. Anything you want to drop? Well, that's nah, probably still like, it's only August. It's, uh, it's not a collab brew, but we have, uh, uh, we're very excited about uh, great notions are, you know, out yeah, of, from Portland. From Portland. Yeah, yeah. They're going to be coming uh, and doing a tap takeover. That's um, so that's coming up pretty soon in September. Nice. Um, we're looking to do. We had a few other ideas of collaborations with local breweries, 
we always are down to collaborate with Innerboro, but um, we have a few other uh, things that we've been working on. Very but cool. I don't want to say anything until no, it's, of course, it's a little, uh, I'm being cheeky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, so it's been a couple of years. Uh, and so basically, like I was saying earlier, we know of you guys through Tio and Benny and... I guess the the way that they sort of like positioned you guys and the way they were they really like loved their experience here, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and their uh, mission is for culturally authentic spaces. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of breweries that are just slapping rappers on on um, yeah. beer labels yeah. and stuff, and there's mm-hmm. no one of color working there, yeah. or no one in the hip hop culture mm-hmm. that really understands it. They're just taking some something and making money off yeah. it. So this space represents mm-hmm. that. I mean, that's that's accurate. That's sort of what you were trying to actively trying to create here as far as like a space that represents hip-hop being you were a dj and like you clearly care mm-hmm. from the hip-hop culture yeah coming up in new york where it was born anyway mm-hmm. i mean that's that was sort of part of the mission from the start was to create a space that represented that is that i i think a good uh story or example is when folks first saw the idea of what was going to be opening up here in brooklyn and they realized that oh it's gonna be craft beer and vinyl the first word that was thrown out is, oh, it's going to be a hipster bar. Oh, right. Um, and then other times people walk in. fair, sort of like being, that's what Brooklyn's kind of become exactly. lately. Exactly. If you think about Bushwick and Williamsburg um, right. and a lot of folks that are new to New York City, um, those two things represent that, right? right. Um, people walk by and they'll, they'll look in and they'll see the records, not know who the owner and the owners are in general. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority, I'm the principal owner, but all the other, you know, minority partners that have smaller bits of equity um, are almost all people of color from New York City. Right. Um, so it, the assumption is, oh, this is a hipster thing, not knowing that I was born and raised in New York City uh, with hip-hop in my blood. It's one of my things that I, I spend a lot of time wasting time thinking about <laughs> who's the, my top five MCs, right. the kind of thing. You We're going to have to get to that. Yeah. It's very cool. um, And, you know, it's just something that is just a representation of, of my own personal history of being... Right not only a DJ, but a, a producer as well, and, and spending so much time uh, in the culture um, and um, you know, meeting a lot of people that are MCs and DJs and having so much respect um, for people that are much better DJs than I am, um, but wanting to create a space that, that provided a platform for a culture that I hold very dear right. um, within another culture that I hold dear, which is craft beer right. and, and uniting the two. So, but I think naturally it became something that uh, folks that are not necessarily uh, into craft beer will come because they have a, it's a DJ that they follow or that they, they love and um, and we just open our arms to, to everyone and embrace especially embrace um, you know a crowd that um, is diverse and it's not necessarily used to coming to a craft beer space right when it's you know if you go to and me personally as a, as a man of color of going to craft beer bars or going to breweries and being like the only person of color um sometimes it was unnerving right um so that's definitely something that we've thought about of how do we try to be a, a space that is really welcoming to all right and how, how have people responded to that like generally speaking whether it's like beer fans mm-hmm. or people of color who aren't used to being in mm-hmm. a craft beer space I, I mean i think so far it's been pretty amazing because yeah. um really the word of beer wax uh just continues to to grow and um what we tried to create and you know people throw on other places that to me was uh kind of like my home like this place called apt that's mm-hmm. that was a historic place uh in, in manhattan that was a lounge club kind of thing okay 
but it had like just incredible, incredible DJs and such an incredible vibe and people still talk about the, the space. So when people throw that out, like, and I'll name drop for a second, but he's a dear friend of mine, Bobito Garcia, nice. um, who was, uh, you know, the Trilogy, duo Stretch and Bobito, yeah. uh, responsible for one of the most uh, legendary hip-hop shows uh, in the 90s. Yeah. When he came here for the first time, that's what he said, because he used to spin at APT. Right, he um, reminded him of that vibe. Yeah, and that vibe. And he soon after became uh, uh, one of our regular DJs here. Oh, that's sick. So, yeah. Right. Um, so I, I think when people experience the space and the vibe and the fact that it's a very unique space for craft beer in New York City, mm-hmm. um, it, it's hard to... Uh, to deny that. And I, I'm a typically a very humble person and I don't like to, to brag, but I, I do have to not just pat myself on the, on the back, but all the people that were involved in helping bring this to life. Yeah. Um, because that first year was tough for me personally. And I, I did another podcast that talked about where my, kind of my headspace mm-hmm. during that first year. Right. And, and it was not easy. And there were times that I was wavering, being slightly depressed. Right. Um, and I often would see people come into the space, look around, especially look up at the stacks and, and realize, like, wow, this is a crap beer spot with all these records and this vibe and this great music. They're playing Mob Deep right now. Like, what the? <laughs> um, and, but then I wouldn't feel that myself, that, that joy or that, that same kind of, like, sense of awe. Hmm. And I had to find that eventually, which I did, thank God. Right. Um, Do you but know it took why me a while. That, why it sort of struggled at first? Maybe you were too deep in it or something? It was just... Um, a lot of different things. I think it was right. just the a whole change, the shift in my own personal life mm-hmm. that I was so used to being home with my family, and now I'm home just for seeing my daughters I have twin daughters, and they're going to be in second grade. So I was seeing them for thirty minutes, getting them up, brushing teeth, getting breakfast together, and then I would see them the next day doing the right. same routine. So when that was the new routine, it was tough for me. Right. Um, what was also tough was just now feeling like I love the space that I created, but. I, I feel like I'm throwing a party in my own house every night because that's what it feels like—an extension of my own house. Right. These you records created. used to be in in my house. Right. Uh, a lot of this is like it feels kind of like loungy. Like we have the couch there. We, you know, I want people to feel at home, and that's right. what they do feel like. But then when you're doing this every single day, it's draining. It's draining, and especially because I'm slightly an introvert, and people want to talk to the owner. So I'm here, and they want right. to, you know, they want to talk to me. They want to chat and. And just, I felt like I was spent, hmm. you know, spiritually, energy. mentally, emotionally. So there were times I was like, oh, man, like I, to be quite honest, I was like, I don't know if I can do this much longer. Right. Um, I want this to continue. I was like, I don't know if I can be the full-time manager. Uh, maybe there's a way for me to step back. Um, but we took a very pivotal trip to Tokyo. Okay. Um, right around the time that we turned <clears> the year and saw some of the original inspiration for Beer Wax, which I eventually came to learn existed in Tokyo already, which were in these right. jazz bars uh, and jazz cafes called Jazukisas in Tokyo. Okay. Um, there's a picture of a gentleman that I met who was a big inspiration there, uh, Kobayashi-san, um, who has a bar called Jazz, Blues, and Soul. And we went to visit him. And to see this guy who's been at it for, I think, 12 to 14 years, day in, day out, by himself. Wow. No other owners, no other workers. He does it himself and is open every day. Jeez. So to see that and to see his passion and to see this guy who's maybe 20 years older than me, um, but is just still doing it. After all these years, I came back. I was like, I, I got to do this. You know, right. this is bigger than me. And I'm going to just try my best and just grind and um, change some things a little bit. Um, 
but those changes, even like my own personal changes of like starting to be practice mindfulness more. Um, I was doing sitting meditation at least for 10 minutes a day nice. and all that really helped out. So key, man. Yeah. So, and it's, it's, you know, self-care is, is, is huge and important. Um, even more so for entrepreneurs. Yeah. Oh yeah. So we have, the, no, uh, that's uh, Blake coming in. Okay. So Blake is our, one of our bartenders and one of our, our porters here. Hello, Hello sir. What's up? How you doing? No mind. That's just doing a podcast. Uh, let's see you, man. So, oh, man. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I'm not lost. What were we just talking about? Mindfulness. I, mindfulness and stuff. Sorry. As in, thank you so much. Yeah. As in, uh, we, we're big on that. Like, we own a business as well. Like, mm-hmm. we're saying with uh, Tio and Benny. And, and um, I find it's really important as an entrepreneur to, to, like, you have to be aware of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You have to take care of your mental health because mm-hmm. you don't really have the balance anymore yep. like once the balance gets taken yep. away and everything becomes about the business mm-hmm. we don't have the family aspect we're yeah. partners in life and business mm-hmm. so it's like us too but then we, we struggle with the um, with the balance as far as we don't take any us time we don't take yeah. vacations yeah. this is the closest thing to a vacation mm-hmm. but now we're still doing beer work even mm-hmm. though it's fun work it's yeah. still work it's at still the end work. of the day right yeah. so like we can't figure that out it's almost like we have to go somewhere with, with ship beer intentionally mm-hmm. where there's just nothing and mm-hmm. just sit somewhere on the beach yep. or whatever yep. like I don't know how, what that solution is mm-hmm. yet and I know there's definite like burnout would you say you were burnt out um, accurate, or was it a bit different than burnt out I, might, might have been an element uh, of being a little bit burnt out because I, I was working 12 to 14 hour days and when I wasn't working and I was home I was still this. working I was either thinking about it I was doing Instagram I wore every single hat at a, at a, at a point. Probably accounting. And Everything. The only thing I don't do is, is bookkeeping, uh, which we have someone doing who is our bookkeeper. <clears throat> um, but everything from social media uh, to marketing to updating our calendar to doing you know, interventions when there was issues with staff, mm-hmm. uh, in between staff. So it, you know, I was every department from HR to – and at that point, I think we lost our porter – so I was mopping the floor. I was sweeping. I was doing everything. Right. Yeah. So I was burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. So like, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Right? When you list all of those things, like, God yeah. damn, it just yeah. never ends. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of those things that sort of like you go into it and you don't allow um, like flexibility for those things because mm-hmm. you don't foresee those issues. And yeah. no one tells yeah. you. There's no one to tell you about this stuff. Yeah. So you kind of like just dive in. Ah, I'm going to make this work. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, a year in, you're just like, what's going on? Yeah. But at least you were cognizant of that. You're self-aware. And yeah. you and at least you were, I guess, lucky or you manifested mm-hmm. the experience in Japan that sort of gave you that spark again, yeah. which is very, very cool. Yeah, no, it was, yeah I really That's pinpoint cool that is the, the moment that I came back and, and things changed. Right. No. And it's been... It's been, yeah, it's been since, a, I guess, much better. Of course, every, you know, every day you is a new moment, day. Right? Yeah, of course. But for the most part, like, I was consistently down right. and feeling like, you know, just stressed out and, and not happy. So, and now I'm consistently in a very good place so right yeah. i can tell you got a good energy you seem oh, like you. you know up and chill and yeah i mean for someone that, that once again I keep coming back to the the um the crowns of hops thing like being this was their their best experience mm. i just said like the the love that was in the room type mm-hmm. of thing and i'm sure a lot of that came from yourself and mm. sort of like you being able to cultivate that your community here that yeah you know they of course had a community but you mm-hmm. know this was the, the the place for that so i mean that's pretty cool to see that like probably pretty soon after if it was like the end of last year when you did the Japan thing, yeah, you um, wouldn't have only would have only been a few months later. That's right. So it's probably yeah. like a nice little uh, reinforcement, exactly. Of the and situation. it was because that was a beautiful day that uh, that yeah. we shared. So and we were Very happy cool. to support them. 
we were happy to support them uh, a couple of weeks ago at, at Fresh Fest. Yes. So, yeah, we were talking about that before. How was that for you? Oh, it was incredible. Um, to be in a space uh, where, especially in the early part of the day when it was just the brewers, just the people that work for breweries and you're setting up and uh, the different bottle shares that took place the day before and it's that. all black and brown people that love craft beer. Yeah. It was refreshing. Uh, it was just like an experience that felt empowering to know that you're not alone, uh, you know, in this craft beer thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, my wife and I left feeling so invigorated and, and energized. That it was amazing. And then to, to continue to see Crowns and Hops flourish and meet new milestones yeah. in their own history and to observe that and be a part of that, to see them tap their first beer, to have Garrett Oliver from Brooklyn Brewery come over and taste their beer yeah, for yeah. the first time. Very cool. Um, it's just, it, it was, I, I'm getting the chills now thinking about it. It's um, very sick. Yeah. So, it's cool to watch. And uh, they, their beers, uh, half kegs kicked, I think they were the first brewery in, out of the whole festival to have their beers run out. Amazing. So yeah, it was, it was great. That's so sick. And for people who don't know, so Fresh Beer Festival is the only or the first black owned? It's the first, yeah. Yeah, uh, the first. Celebration of black uh, brewing culture in the country. It's amazing. And it was held in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, Pittsburgh. Uh, a couple weeks ago. A couple, yeah. So I believe the exact date was... Um, August 10th. August 10th. I'm yes. almost certain, yeah. I remember, yeah, because yeah. we just came back. We mm-hmm. were supposed to go, but uh, didn't get down there. But everything I saw online, everyone was losing their minds. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. Completely positive. Really amazing. Did you know Eric from uh, Capsule? Did you meet him or from Uncap Everything? I no, I Virginia dude. I did meet Eric. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I I met so many folks that I, I only knew through Instagram. Yeah, yeah, you know. So <laughs> did you meet? Oh, Ren um, Navarro. Renee Navarro. She's from uh, Toronto. She's a good friend of ours too. I believe so. Um, I'm sure you know. What, what's her Instagram page? Uh, it's either Beer Diversity. Okay. Or 35 millimeter monkey is her personal okay. she goes by Beard Dark I think if it's Beard Diversity then, then I'm sure we've met yeah, yeah. glasses you yeah. Know, if you see it. yeah so she's a good friend of the team okay. but yeah. just, kept, just everybody we know as well we're yeah. just all there we're yeah. like, like, normally oh, I don't get too much FOMO like yeah. to be honest we're exactly like, we were exhausted but it was like god damn it yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay that's sick um, yeah. I'm really glad I no, got to incredible. sort of experience that and stuff yeah. and, and really got to um yeah it's cool that they that someone's doing that they're really putting everything on the line and it seems to have had a serious like the like everyone from what I saw online of basically saying that like gushing about it. people don't usually gush about BFS no. like yeah, yeah man I got fucked up like, oh no yeah it was just the sense of community yeah was just Which incredible is essentially what part of what you were trying to do with this space yeah initially mm-hmm. do you feel like that has, has anything have you seen a change at all over the last two almost two years as far as like maybe there was was there a community before and then now this is now a part of it or was there no community and now you've been able to create something like how have you sort of seen that grow there's different levels to that Mm -hmm. um in general i have always felt since i've worked in craft beer in new york city part of this larger community because it's a very tight-knit for the most part craft beer community in new york city huge like i said 40 yeah whatever however many bars so there and there typically is like a, a guild meeting once a month on a tuesday and you see pretty much faces from all the different breweries. When I was working at Finback, you got to just know and develop great relationships with people. Right. So there, that continues of like seeing folks that are in craft beer that come by and, um, and just hang out here and, and invite other people over. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also a great DJ community right. that now sees this as home. Mm-hmm. Um, and different DJs come in and check, check in on each other when they're spinning. They may have another gig up the block and they'll come in and, and hey, say, yeah, no. So that's been amazing to, to see that 
community really flourish here as well. Right. Um, and then I feel like it's been amazing to meet, you know, folks that are really representatives of diversity in craft beer, um, either come to Beer Wax or Beer Wax Beyond but on their radar. Right. Um, so that's the other thing that we are so happy to be part of that umbrella of folks that are trying to really push for diversity in craft beer. That's sick. I, I assume then with the DJ side of stuff, you probably introduce craft beer to a lot of individuals yeah. who also might not have been yeah. exposed to it. No, it's pretty amazing that, because it's like that's part of like a, besides your DJ fee, we'll give you some free rounds on right. the house. It's like, yeah, what do you want? Like, you know? like, they're so, like, oh, they might, if they don't drink beer, like, yeah. oh, what do I, you know, and you yeah. can kind of educate them. Exactly. And then hopefully they'll just enjoy the vibe so much, mm-hmm. enjoy playing here that they'll, that sort of seeps in, yeah. like they associate craft beer now mm-hmm. with these good vibes type yeah, of thing. Exactly. And, and one uh, has hit me up. I said, like, wait, I have this great beer. It was very juicy. Juicy IPA. What? <laughs> Can you tell me which one it was? And I'm like, dude. <laughs> exactly. I was like, there's three or four on right now. But, you know? yeah. I'm sure that rotates a lot. Yeah. Um, I guess then you're working at Finback and then knowing all these people in the scene, that probably would have helped you easily obtain the beers that you want to make a fire list. Yeah. That, like I would assume that sometimes it might be difficult to get some stuff that you want to say if you didn't have those relationships. Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah, I is think it? that's been, I think, is um, that? yes and no. I think part of it is, is those relationships. Um, it's not like I get skipped on the line or ignore an email request from another bar and be like, Oh, well, Chris, I'm just handing that to <laughs> you. But it does help out, you know, right. when, you know, it helps out too when, you know, you have folks that I knew from Finback or folks from other half, they want to do special events here. Right. We hosted, the first Green City uh, like pre-party. Um, yeah, that was what was that? Was that was June? last. So it wasn't well, it wasn't this Green City, but it was the, the first one. So it was last year. Okay. Um, and the number of like brewery owners and people like in this scene that were here, it was incredible. Right. You know, we had like this little uh, just happened to have a little speakeasy thing in the basement because it got so packed up here and in yes, the backyard. Right. So like Yepe from Evil Twin is in the basement hanging out with. Folks from Equilibrium, Will and Benny, and like it was just like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, so, so it's That's sick. you know, so it's great just being involved in, or having that history. I'm not just someone who just started this craft beer bar, um, and doesn't know anyone. You know, right. that, that's kind of what I was so, getting at. So yeah. that's that has helped. And the same thing uh, on the DJ side isn't like I'm just starting this this cool thing with records. Like no, like I I DJ with some of the people that spin here. I spin myself here sometimes. You right. know, so. Um, and I know what it's like. And I sometimes I, I'm on the end of like, I'm now the owner and I have to now figure out how much to pay someone equitably. But at the same time, balancing that with making sure we make some money on a Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, it's an interesting balance and place to yeah, be right, right now. Particularly yeah. because you've been on that side of it. Yeah. And you've worked in the beer thing. So you're kind of like in a great position where mm-hmm. you can empathize exactly. with both ends. Um, I don't know, you're talking about the party then and you're having all these people from the industry here. Do you think that you having these relationships with them, them coming to the space and them potentially not being as, what's the word, like just knowledgeable or just aware of like the diversity mm. uh, issues in beer, do you think that sort of opened up a lot of people to, I don't know, maybe just going to a bar? Because like, like you said, you said you didn't feel so comfortable Maybe mm-hmm. but I've, I've heard like someone like Tio's like looking around like yeah. dude I'm the only black guy here yeah. what's up like mm-hmm. this is weird mm-hmm. um, and you know essentially a bar should be somewhat of a representation of what it's like outside yeah and that hasn't been traditionally what craft beer is yeah. so then I'm sure a lot of these individuals probably would have experienced that most owners are, 
arguably white dudes, mm-hmm. if, that, if that's mm-hmm. probably true yeah. from my experience, yeah. if you look at our podcast, people say we need to talk to more people, more women or more people, like generally we speak to owners and brewers, mm-hmm. and that's just what they are. Yeah. Like, so like it's sort of difficult to, to always sort of work around that. So if they're coming to the bar because they have a relationship with you mm-hmm. anyway and you're throwing these things and you got a rep, they're looking around, and maybe do you think it's sort of even if it's subconscious, they look around, they're seeing all these different faces mm-hmm. than what they used to. They might be like, yo, this is sick. And then understanding, do you think it's sort of unintentionally educating the industry versus just the population? I would hope so. I, but the the thing that you could never know is when are they here? Because there are times mm-hmm. that you may be here and it's it's not as diverse. Mm-hmm. You know, it depends on the time of day. And it depends gotcha. um, if it's one of those events where you have a large amount of industry folks here. It's going to be predominantly white, probably. I didn't think about that. Okay. So, so it's, it's only if, like, for that party you're referring to, it mm-hmm. probably was a whiter evening than what it would normally be? It, it, most likely. So, like, for example, the huh. other half uh, industry night that we did, well, it was still diverse for a craft beer function, right. <laughs> but it was still majority uh, of white folks in the industry because of the nature of the event. Um, if... Let's say Yepe came here with Augie Carton hanging out on the night, mm-hmm. which Augie's been here um, from Carton. Okay. Um, and we have uh, Evil D spinning. Um, oh, Evil D plays here? He spun here before. He spun here before. Uh, we're trying to get him back to do vinyl because he spun here for a private party. Right. And our strict policy is vinyl only DJs. Right. So, um, so he spun this private party. We allowed him to bring his Serato mm. and his laptop and that kind of thing. So we haven't got him back yet. Right. And to do a vinyl only. <laughs> if uh, anyone can do it, he can. He oh, can yeah. He can certainly, serve. certainly yeah. do it. So we're waiting to, to make that happen. But so through, throwing a name out, let's say DJ Ace, who's a local amazing 45 DJ, spins here regularly. He has his own following, mostly black folks from the neighborhood. So let's say if it's one of those nights and now you, you're tipping the scale per se of having you know fifty percent people of color, fifty percent white folks, mm-hmm. um, that could be an evening that you look around and say, "Oh, this is what a craft beer could look like in New York City," right? Which is very different from the average. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, I didn't consider that if it was an industry night, of course it's going to yeah. be whiter than the average yeah. situation. Understood. Um, so that is a, a nice little side effect. At the very least, it's introduced. Hopefully, they're coming through, like I said, just to have a drink. And mm-hmm. on the other side, mm-hmm. as far as the consumer side of things, have you? How have you seen sort of maybe, uh, you know, maybe people come with their friends. Like, oh, we're going to this bar. Maybe they don't even position it mm. as a craft beer bar. It's just yeah. this bar that has dope DJs playing mm-hmm. vinyl, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not hipster. It's like hip-hop. It's cool. Yep. So they'll come through and they'll be like, oh, okay. What well, are all these things? Like, how have you found that sort of education uh, and the response to that? Do people come in? Oh, what have you got to tell? I'm a bud drinker. Like, what have you got yeah. for that? Like, No, we get that a lot. How yeah, has, cool. has that sort of looked for you guys? I mean, it's, it's always an... Blake, who's a bartender, can attest to this. It's really meeting people where they're at. So if they're, right. you know, into light beer, is, is what they say, and we'll ask, well, you know, do you like Pilsners? Do you, you know, taste this? See if you like this. And, and starting very slow. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have folks that are wine drinkers, and you might introduce right. a sour. Um, nice. And, and they'll be like, oh, wow, this is beer? Because a lot of times their conception of beer is just... Like yellow physics. Exactly. Yeah. So... It's been very interesting of trying to like match people's palate or trying to slowly challenge their palate uh, to have them come around again. And we have them come around again and ask for that beer they had two months ago, right. which is not, has, not will never be on the tap again because <laughs> it's like a one-off. Um, but it's always trying to meet 
our customers where they're at mm. and slowly trying to challenge their their palate. Right. So, um, but it's been you know whether it's you have someone we have a crew of Jamaicans that come by and you know and they're used to drinking export stouts and and like well we have this really great imperial style you should try this and and sometimes they're blown away right and uh, then we're like but it's slow down it's eleven percent yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. I mean that. Uh... They want, they want the Guinness you're used to. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Right? Even the foreign we were just in Jamaica, and the uh, the foreign extra stouts were like seven percent. Yeah, yeah. They were like yeah. stronger than I, I Thanks, thought yeah, they were. Right, I yeah. guess Dragon Stout seven as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I guess they're probably, which is pretty high compared to, you know, to particularly in the island. Heat, exactly. Like, you crash yeah. that, and then you drop in some probably eleven percent or yeah. something, and yeah. they're just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, That's what we started to do. You. The smaller, you know, the four and eight ounce only, or four and nine for for the imperial stouts over like ten percent now. Yeah, that's um, fine. Yeah, we weren't Is doing that? that for the whole first year. And <laughs> oh, and people were just getting trashed. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly the noobs. It's uh, yeah. the rookie mistake. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Okay, the cool. So it's essentially educating. Like, would you get a lot of um, neighborhood folks? Like, uh, what was this called again? Sorry, Prospect Heights. This right? was, yeah, this is Prospect, Prospect Heights. Heights. So, and downtown's like right there. Though. Right there, yeah. Really, like, walking distance. Park Slope is walking distance. So, yeah, we're close to, to Barclays, is right there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, it's great. We've had, we've had a lot of neighborhood folks come, uh, we wouldn't survive without our local regulars who come by. Um, so we're definitely a mix of both a destination and, uh, you know, a neighborhood bar. Okay. And then we thrive on, on being both. Right. And then I guess the events potentially would and be the drawing events. kind of, uh, maybe get people outside the hood or whatever. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't survive without events. You know, right. we we would be still, you know, trying to scrape by to pay rent every month. Right. Um, but it's really our events that drive us and allow us to stand apart from mm-hmm. the average bar and that's really having DJs every night. Um, we had a great uh, event on Saturday. We had uh, a pop-up, a Filipino barbecue pop-up. Nice. Um, sold out in two hours out mm-hmm. in the back. Uh, we had uh, a crew of DJs, about seven DJs, um, celebrating a birthday, and uh, and a, a pop up record store. Really? Because people often come and they want to buy my records and they're not for no. sale. <laughs> uh, so we we partner with this record dealer um, uh, named Greg Greg Winter, and uh, he has once a month he brings a, a couple of thousand records uh, and he sells his records out of the out of That's the bar. That's so sick. Uh, so the, that trifecta, along with the beer, it was a killer day on Saturday. That's great. Which is great because August is typically the slow month because out of out. the summer, everyone's out of town. So to yeah. have that that Saturday that we killed it was like, oh, thank goodness, you know. Right. So, yeah. needed that. But if we were just hoping that people would show up on a, a random Saturday, it, we would have been in trouble. So right. we have to really be very strategic with the events that we do. Right. Yeah. So is it not every day there's a DJ every time we, every night? We Now we've moved into that kind of uh, rotation that we have Beer Wax, what's called Beer Wax Radio, that Monday to Wednesday we have uh, a streamed online Periscope station mm-hmm. and anyone can sign up that spins vinyl and DJ and be streamed. Um, That's cool. And it's, you know, a small share of, uh, of bar sales uh, just to be able to give the DJ something. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And they can just spin it for two hours, or they can go longer if they want. Um, That's great. But it's great because it, it brings more people in on those slower days. Um, they see typically we it's by the window, so they'll see a DJ, you know, in the evening. Hopefully, that sometimes draws people in. Like, right. what's going on here? Right, and they'll right, come right. in. I so, guess they see the art on the wall as well. Yeah. Like you got the local artists that mm-hmm. I assume like you probably turn over every so every two months, month, which I do. Yeah. Which is super cool, like also supporting local artists yeah. and stuff. We do an open, opening reception for them. We nice. try to like really promote it. We try to promote it on our Instagram page. So, 
Um, oh, we have a delivery from other half right now. Nice. Oh, yeah. a branded vehicle. Although they probably drove by and didn't think we were here. Damn that's it. That's okay. Damn it. Um, no, that's super sick. So I guess that's sort of really what drives it. It's interesting because it's such a different concept than like the average craft beer bar, yeah. which is kind of, I mean, a lot of them have like takeovers and stuff. Do you do a tap takeover? Yeah, we do. I try not to do more than two a month. Okay. Just because it gets uh, old or? It, it gets, it's disruptive of our flow. Okay. So if we have then, you know, we had 12 beers on tap, we do six. Now we have six that are coming off and they're waiting for those six to kick. Um, right. Blake, do you mind getting the uh, other half keg? Thank you. Let me just. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Grab that. Look at that. Other half being delivered. Right? Isn't that beautiful? Glorious. <laughs> I like the, uh, the big um, uh, labeled van. I like that. I've never seen that driving around. Yeah, you think so? That's actually one of the most things I'm impressed about in New York. Like everywhere I go, self distribution. Well, I guess the self distribution, but it's everywhere. Other half are like a beast. Yeah. Like there's like almost nowhere I go that doesn't have something, which is like you know it's really tough for us to get again. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a beer that I have very often. But then mm-hmm. everywhere I go, I had it twice in two different spots last. Other half? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's they they were a lot more exclusive with the. The types of beers that went out, they were only doing their two cores for bars. What is it? Forever two? Ever yep. and Green City. That's the two ahead last night. Okay. okay. So yeah. most bars only carry those two. But if you are very quick on the draw, I'm not going to say the time, but I mean, bar owners know the time. They know the time. Um, but I give it all the way. I set my alarm for, for 10 o'clock yep. to make sure that I can get, because they probably only have what's being delivered now, maybe 20 half kegs of that available so if you're not if you don't get it within that first hour you're not going to get it you have to be just get your forever ever or it's worth your great beers but i'm not we don't like to carry the same beer over and over and over and over again so yeah it's kind of redundant particularly if it's like i mean the place we went to last time was like momofuku and like a just a random neighborhood bar in east Mm -hmm. village and we've been to both of those places before and i had i didn't realize it was the same beer but it was forever ever i had it a year ago when we were there yeah so i was like oh okay same joints, but mm-hmm. of course you're a craft beer bar. Those were just not craft yeah. beer bars, yeah. of course. So yeah. I mean, it's probably important that uh, that you do know what you're getting, right there. Um, this is, uh, I believe, Florette. Let me see. Um, this one is their version. It's a, a single hop version of Florets of mm-hmm. uh, of broccoli. I love that. Such ridiculous names. Yeah. So, yeah. So, they're uh, Florette. So, Broccoli, they're double IPA. Yeah. Um, so, this is their IPA version uh, of that, of that particular beer that they hilarious. was very popular in the can. So, right. Yeah. With the sick can design. Uh, so, that's, uh, so, this, as an, as an example, if you don't grab it quick, you'll see, it'll say, they'll oh. send an email, sold out, sold out. So, I was able to get that. That's what they just delivered. Right. Yeah. So but these two like are a... still forever, ever, and Green City is still available. Right. Yeah, so. so, that's how they're sort of operating. Yeah. I didn't even know they had cores, to be honest. I yeah, mean, I guess I should have put two and two together. But. And I was, I was very happy because they went for about six months without doing those specialty uh, and were just doing the core. So we weren't ordering. Right. Just because every now and then I'd point. order Green City. But, Green City's good. But like, yeah. But, you know, I, I was like, you know, I want... It seemed redundant, right? Yeah. Would, would people comment if you had like, oh, man, why you got this one? Like, it's everywhere. People wouldn't comment. But no, didn't really I don't... I don't want to be that that bar either, and yeah. I don't want to kind allow people to comment. You yeah, know? so <laughs> you want to give them a reason to. Yeah, yeah. and you know, um, there's certain. Uh, I don't even think there are certain beers. Mm-hmm. That, I guess I actually have a list of the beers that we've had more than once. Okay, and it might be uh, we've had uh, 
three is leaked maybe okay. three or four times. It's just a fantastic Pilsner. Yeah. So, um, so that one I'm okay repeating because uh, you know that beer is very popular and it goes pretty quickly. Right. So, to, but generally speaking, but generally like, we try to really change it up and um, we used to actually just do sixtals because we didn't have a keg slide. Right. And you can even hear how heavy that keg is. You hear yeah, it's okay. shaking the floor. Yeah. So just, I was just watching. I didn't realize what they were doing, but I guess everything in New York's the basement thing. Yeah. So, so, it's going, so our walk-in is in the basement. They're delivering from quite a, a steep drop there. So we built a, a wooden keg slide that's not the safest, not the best. Because right. it already broke. Yeah. Um, but like, we have also like a string core that they should be able to hold on to and lower it. Um, but every gotcha. bartender does things a little differently. But I want to review safety pr- procedures. Because <laughs> they're, they're obviously very, very, very heavy. Oh, I, but yeah. because we used to just do sixels because of that problem, because right. we didn't have any way to actually get it delivered, we were doing it through occasionally through the stairs, but then our stairs were getting beat up. Right. So they got to put the, what, the keg all the way to the back. Yeah. And down, and down the stairs. And then stairs, you're, now these old wooden stairs are boom, 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 getting boom, beat boom. up. So we were like, um, let's uh, just do six stills. And it was great because then our, our list was changing like every single day because there was right. always something. The six stool, you only have about what 50 bores. So it's a, a six stool is because is, is, it's probably different in Canada. Yeah. Um, a six stool is basically the one sixth of, of, a, of a barrel. So that's, a, that's oh. what I, uh, so I, I don't even 5.6 gallons, I believe, officially. So is that 20? Oh, 20 so that's the, that's the slim cakes, the slim cakes, yeah, like yeah. 20 or 30 liters. Okay, yes, because we have 50, yeah, which so is the 20, the 20 liter, and you have a 50 liter, usually, which is that's what that one that, was. That was probably the 50 liter, that was yeah. the big guy, the, the big heavy guy. one, like 100 heavy, heavy pounds, 50 yeah. kilos, yes. essentially. So, what, which and we call half kegs, which is half of a barrel, which is oh. 16.5 gallons is a half keg, and a barrel is consider is 31 gallons. So that's why we call them half kegs. You said half keg, and I was like, "Why would you one of those?" Half yeah, it doesn't. Okay, yeah, all right. It doesn't make. Yeah, we so, call the half are the bigger ones, and then six those are the slims. Yeah, inter- Okay, uh, sick. That makes more sense. So you would generally do the smaller ones because it makes more sense. You can turn them over faster. Exactly. But plus, but guess what? Is not great for those. Like is the profit margin, because we're not. We're only making probably three hundred dollars uh, of profit on each six stool. Right. As opposed well, to maybe about a thousand a keg. Half keg, and it's double the price. Uh, maybe a hundred dollars more. Oh wow! Yeah. That's not so even a it's question. it's like so much, so much better. So what do you generally do then? Would you so we don't have a lot of space though for half kegs. So we'll probably do half of those big guys, and mm-hmm. then the other usually like the more specialty stuff, imperial styles, double IPAs. We're having six. And because you're doing a smaller pause anyway. Yeah. So do you the same kind of glass? You just do like a yeah. So if you can see, that's the forty five lines there. Yeah. Uh, is that's oh, the four ounce EP, EP is yeah. that, or eight ounce, and we call it the LP pours to the top. Ah, uh, that's it. that's even that on brand. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was about to ask earlier, and I think I might have put it together. Beer wax, where the name come from? But wax vinyl. Yep. It's and some people come and they're like, well, Did you that? we get the beer, but what's the wax part?" They're like, "Yeah, and uh, the wax." Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, think <laughs> I saw this because I was looking at it before I noticed it. And I was like, "EP," I was like, uh, "I don't know, maybe it's some like imperial measurement shit." I don't yeah, know what it yeah. is. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. I love I love that because um, we have a social media agency, so we're big on marketing. I mm-hmm. love it when mm-hmm. anybody does that sort of full circle branding, yeah, top to bottom, yeah. from the names mm-hmm. to the the, the and even on our the, like one of our logos, we have kind of two, and just like the IBU ABV like runs around, and BPM being beats per minute, yeah, uh, runs around uh, 
the logo, and yeah. it's also kind of like a, a record in a sense too, right? Yeah. So it uh, looks like a vinyl platter, uh, but it's our, our coasters and our logo. That's so sick, man. I love it. I love that consistency. Um, okay, I'm trying to think what else do we... Is there anything else we want to cover specifically? I want to make sure that we really sort of captured the... The element because like people who listen to the podcast and then we talk we like to talk about like diversity mm-hmm. more than anything whenever we can. It's sort of like I said, it's sometimes difficult, but I we want to sort of drill home to the industry because yep. we have a lot of industry mm-hmm. listeners and watches mm-hmm. because I guess we get to talk to others in the industry and just kind of ask questions that they would like to yep. ask them anyway. Yep. So they're like, oh, well, I just listen mm-hmm. to something. I'm sure mm-hmm. that happens to a lot of uh, beer podcasts. So like whenever we have the opportunity to kind of maybe drill home the message a bit stronger for uh, something like diversity being that the industry will not exist if, mm-hmm. or, or will not grow any more than what it is. Yep. If, if more people from the cultural spectrum get into craft beer mm-hmm. and start you know, actually actively purchasing and, and turning up to bars. So, I mean, is there any maybe advice being second, you're the perfect person. Mm-hmm. You worked in the industry yeah. in a brewery yep. in one of the hyped, most hyped breweries in yeah, the state or in the city. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I love their stuff in back. I'm actually upset. We didn't get to go this trip, mm. but like, do you have any sort of advice or, or, um, you know, what, what can someone in the industry, like a brewery, what can they do to either attract diverse clientele or maybe get, uh, more diverse staff base? Yeah, I think that's like where that? it starts really. That's where it starts. I think because, People frequent this bar, some people, particularly knowing that it's black and brown owned, mm-hmm. um, and, and they will make a point to visit and to support. Right. Um, but not only because of that stance or because that's the situation, uh, because the people behind the bar, even uh, you know, a lot of our staff, you'll see a reflection of yourself behind mm-hmm. the bar, right. either in the owners or the, the employees. Right. So I feel like if you kind of base some of your hiring practices, you know, on making sure you have a diverse, uh, you know, staff, mm-hmm. um, you will guarantee to turn out more people of color to come and try your product. Hmm. So that's uh, where it all begins. So I think it, it's part of it. It's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's an important part. Um, right. You know, so that's one. Um, you know, I also feel like it has to be authentic. You know, you can't just do something that's going to, you're doing something just because you want to, Get more people of color out to your bar. Right. At the end of the day, just because you want to make more money. Right. right. That's, that's what you're, you're really saying. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to really truly want to have and see a diverse uh, tap room, per se. Right. Um, you know, and there's no easy way to do that. Um, and especially in some cities where you already have, uh, you know, people of color are the minority. You know, I don't throw that word out a lot. I don't use the word minority. But in some cases, it's like you're, they're, you're underrepresented in general. In that city. In that city. Oh, right. Um, so it's tough because you're already, uh, well, I guess if you're, if you live in a place where, you know, you don't see other people of color, you're used to that probably. So, course, yeah. unfortunately. So, uh, I mean, there's not a lot people can do if that's what their city looks yeah. like, then that is what it is. Yeah. But, um, but if you're in the metropolitan area and, and they're in your city, like New York City is pretty much 50% people of color. At least, yeah. And, you have a bar that maybe there's one or two people of color in a bar of 100 people, there's a problem. Absolutely. So, so I feel like I've had, I've spoken to a few friends in Montreal and they've, they've asked me as well, like, okay, well, like how do, and that comes from a good place as well. Like they're like, how do I, like I want more people mm-hmm. to, to, to be introduced to, like how would I even find 
someone say if they put out a beer, this is like, a, I think this is the equivalent, not excuse, but reason, whatever, that, that they would say, like, well, Other Half has a line every Saturday for a can release. Mm-hmm. Why would they need to worry about getting more diverse clientele? Like, do I sell out? Who cares? Mm. That's, I think a lot of breweries have that mentality, yeah. and I think it's the same with, um, like, with the staff. I'm like, well, I put out a job ad, mm-hmm. and then I get 13 white dudes apply. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, well, how do I, how would they get attract somebody that wasn't typical of that uh, of the that would look for a brewery job mm-hmm. how do you have any thoughts on how someone would go out of not like you said to panda mm-hmm. not for a financial thing but if yeah. it comes from a genuine place mm-hmm. and a brewery understands that like you know what like i just maybe because we always talk about like you know the, the h&m had that ridiculous sweater and if they had one person of color and like let's not put that sweater on that kid mm-hmm. type of thing mm-hmm. because it's just like a board member of a bunch of white dudes once again who aren't, who aren't culturally um, diverse enough yeah. to be able to point something out that that's the whole benefit yeah. of diversity so where mm-hmm. can people start like if that's a question that they that's would. funny because this really uh, reminds me of a conversation I had with Garrett Oliver right. from Brooklyn Brewery and he said which was crazy to me that out of all the years that he worked as the brewmaster of Brooklyn Brewery and when he put himself ads out for either uh, someone to be a cellarman, uh, to be an assistant brewer, whatever, but someone working in the brew house, he said in all of his years, he only received one um, applicant, one application from um, a person of color. Wow. And I'm not sure, like the follow-up to that, I was like, I'm not sure if it was, this was based on when he invited them in for an interview, so he knew Versus, like, you can never really know on a, on a resume. Of course. Um, unless you're something that's very explicit. But even then, yeah, you're right. But, um, but there, Still he's, he yeah. stood by that. So I imagine it's maybe from folks he invited in for interviews. Right. And they were qualified to exactly. get to that next step. And there was only one applicant that was a person of color in all those years. So it's right. something that there's no easy answer for. Mm. Um, but one thing that I thought of is, is, like, if you're intentional around either networks or people that you know, and there are plenty of people uh, now that are really championing diversity in craft beer mm-hmm. that could put other people in touch, that could use social media to put it out there to their networks. Right. That this ex brewery is hiring, I'm going to announce it within my, my circle and my network, mm-hmm. and, and you know that that person's net, social media network has a lot of people of color that are into craft beer. There's a chance that, that the right candidate, who is also a person of color, may apply for that job so right. I think it's utilizing what we are all utilizing now is social media so. it's probably a good way to do it yeah that's dope are you familiar with beer culture K-U-L-T-U-R-E yeah, yeah mm-hmm. so on, um, uh, what's his name Dom mm-hmm. so I saw him the other day I thought this was really cool a brewery reached out to him mm-hmm. they're in Tampa or something like that mm-hmm. in Florida and they were like hey man do you know do you have anyone that you know wants to get in the beer game that maybe wouldn't normally get given a chance and he's like, hell yeah, here's mm-hmm. a list. Yep. And they reached out to someone like that of the community. Yeah. So I guess mm-hmm. that's a, a Similar, direct yeah. example yep. of what you're talking yep. about to sort of like, hey, like if they know somebody. Mm-hmm. One thing we suggest, I don't know what you think about this. Uh, the friend I was thinking in Montreal who asked me about it, I can't remember where we heard it from with, with the, um, the Jamaican thing, with like reach out to association to mm-hmm. say no, like, that was just my idea. oh, was your idea? Mm-hmm. So I was like, can bring people in. So it's like you can partner and then someone in the community is a restaurant, for example, it's mm-hmm. like a Jamaican restaurant. Then you introduce people, and it also makes sense because it's like food and beer, mm-hmm. and it's just about bringing someone in. Once they have craft beer, so yeah, yeah. Just, you need the introduction, to mm-hmm. it. right? And that's authentic, and it's also part of the community. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So people so didn't hear. What... Still have Jamaican places in Montreal. Yeah, no, no Jamaicans, unfortunately. No Jamaican we have to keep wow. going at all. No, there is, but we just don't know where it is. Yeah. We're in the city, and we're not from there, and yeah. it's French, so oh, like, okay. we don't really know where the Jamaicans are at, and we I've don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we need to do a bit more yeah. research. There's like not a ton that sucks because in Toronto it's everywhere. It's mm-hmm. fire. Mm-hmm. So like I need to discover like there's nothing in Australia either. I didn't yeah. grow up with it, so well. I had to get it here. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I feel like I got robbed like my whole oh, life. Exactly. I get, it's my favorite food of all time. Oh yeah. Um, well, you have time to make up for it. I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm going in. I got the mother-in-law who's like the goddess in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So we're, uh, mm-hmm. we're good. But basically, what Tiff was saying was that like yeah, like if you we told him to say approach. The, for example, the Jamaican Association, mm-hmm. a lot of cities yep. have association, the mm-hmm. Dominican Association, yep. Puerto Rico, whatever. But like, hey, look, if you guys have like events, mm-hmm. maybe what we could do is pair it up, bring some, cater it from mm-hmm. your side. We can do beer pairings, mm-hmm. so jerk chicken and this pills in there, yep. and like blah, blah, blah. And then put a bunch of things together. And then particularly for Jamaicans, because getting Tiff's mom into beer was an interesting mm-hmm. thing. Uh, we're taking it to Vermont. She bought like a T-shirt from the Alchemist oh, there. Wow. Like she messes with it heavy now, yeah. but like she, you know, typically a, a Heineken drinker or a okay. Guinness drinker, yep. of course, as yep. you know, like yep. that's how it goes. But mm-hmm. now she's like, she gets. I always bring her something, and that's she's amazing. like always down. But it took a little bit of a push mm-hmm. and a consistent exposure. Yep. But now she gets it. Now she doesn't keep really like whack beer in the fridge uh-huh. anymore. <laughs> and she's like, you know, she's open to it. She mm-hmm. always asks for different things and stuff. And I find that was cool, but it was because of the exposure. Because I was there mm-hmm. and Tiff, we were together when I sort of discovered it as well. So then we got into it together and so on and so forth. So I feel like if a brewery would reach out to a, um, yeah, like an association, do something like that, and then when it's authentic and mm-hmm. then they cater to the vibe, mm-hmm. whereas like it could seem forced. Yeah. If it's yep. more like, hey, we're doing a Jamaican night, and mm-hmm. there's no single That's Jamaican exactly. on Starbucks, like, if you don't, do you, does that seem accurate to someone who's no, sort no, of like no. really doing that? Yeah, no, it yeah? does. Yeah. That's probably like a yeah. good way to, to get into it. And so, yeah, I just want to make sure that people have sort of some sort of form of mm-hmm. reference or frame yeah. of reference yeah. for it, and, and what sort of because I feel like the people could easily misstep and make mm-hmm. a wrong decision. Yeah. It wouldn't come from a bad place, but, but still, it might be a little mm-hmm. like fraudulent or whatever, yeah. and they kind of like it's a bad look. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see. all the time. Um, we have a lightning round. Oh, great. Are you ready for that? Bring it on. It's never lightning, but you know. <laughs> the old molasses round. First one is, what is your guilty pleasure beer? A beer that uh, you would be embarrassed to admit to a craft beer that you enjoy. Oof. Um, it is. You know what? I don't... I have a lot of, you know, folks, friends that are that work for in, uh, the brewery, the brewing industry, excuse me, um, that are drinking PBRs and drinking, like, very, you know, whatever kind of macro beer. Because right. they're so done with, like, <laughs> drinking double dry hopped, you know, triple IPAs. <laughs> so they just want something, you know. And I'm not... I don't drink... I, it's, like, more like a personal stance. I don't drink macro beer. I'd rather drink water. I'm with you. Um, so, but I, from the time to time, if I'm at a bar and there's nothing else to drink, but there's Guinness, I'll drink a Guinness. Okay. And it's, I feel like it's not really what you're looking for because it's not, not so good it's idea. not an embarrassing beer <laughs> um, in any way, but um, I, there is really nothing that I drink. Um, like that, proactively. Yeah, no, I, I'd rather not drink it. Yep. Yeah. I'm with you on that yeah. for sure. And that, no, that's a perfect answer. Mm-hmm. Some be like, some people just don't do it. You mm-hmm. just don't. So, like, you know. yeah. Uh, the opposite beer you would decline under any circumstances. You go to a barbecue mm-hmm. and someone's like, hey, man, you want this? Um, yeah, but like, I don't yeah. think I've ever, I don't know if I ever had one. Good. Yeah. It's I mean, terrible. Probably when I was 21 or t- I just, I really waited a long time to start drinking. I, st- I waited until I was yeah. 21. <laughs> and I, I skipped 
all my high school days, my friends were drinking 40s out in the park and I was hanging out with them and I was, wasn't drinking and just didn't look, didn't, I don't know, didn't appeal to me. Right. Um, probably smart then. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but yeah, I would say probably, oh, maybe a 40. It's all yeah. over me. A 40. I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> have you ever had one? No. Did you ever have one? No, 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 never no. had one. I want to try because I never do one for the reviews. I did Colt 45, but that was like 2011. Mm. So I don't, I never like tried Old English or St. Ives or anything. Yeah, no. Because in Australia, we didn't have access. Like as a hip hop head mm-hmm. since the early 90s, we didn't have access to anything. So my whole, like coming to North America was the, like, you can imagine walking around New York my mm-hmm. first time here, I'm losing my mind. Like just everything is from rap songs. That's so funny. So like I, the first, one of the first things I did when I, moved, when I came over here was to get a 40. I'm like, this is disgusting. Yeah, basically. But I'm like, I'm, I'm forcing it down because like, yep. yeah, because you have cool. to, it's hip hop. You got to do it, right? I've seen too many friends that drink too and throw up afterwards. So uh, yeah. How do you drink? It's like a six pack in a bottle. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I can't, volume wise, I just can't drink that much. No, it's yeah. just, it's, and it's, like I would imagine it's just sticky and sweet and, yeah. like, and at the end it's warm as oh. uh, yeah, I'm getting grossed out right now yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> um, what was your gateway beer I think we touched on it earlier yeah and it wasn't it was like, it, I would you know we could say summit class but that wasn't the gateway per se okay. because it was A it was so damn strong and it was hard to get Right. so this is somewhat embarrassing but uh, it was uh, Blue Point Blueberry Okay. Yeah. Why is that so, because blueberry? blueberry, I know. I have some friends that are like, oh, drink a blueberry <laughs> beer. You know, I drink a blueberry I'm very beer. comfortable with who I am, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> no um, uh, toxic masculinity. No. Here. Yeah, no. Okay. So, but yeah, there was a, at the time, Blue Point was independent. It got bought up by AB InBev. Yes, yes. But um, at the time, when it was the Gateway premiere, I was loving that beer. Right. Yeah. Is it like a wheat? It's, it's a, a blueberry wheat blueberry for wheat. the most part. Or just like a, a generic ale with blueberry, you know, associated. Right. So I don't know if there's, if the base without the blueberry is a particular style. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure how much wheat is added. Actually, so I'm not yeah. sure if it exactly is a wheat, but, um, but it's that kind of. Vibe. That kind of yeah, exactly. So it was more just like you, like you're like, oh, beer can be like fruity. And yeah, like, I was like, oh, this tastes great. because yeah. I didn't associate beer with tasting good before. Right, so, you know, just that stinky sort of like mm. weird multi stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I was drinking amaretto sours at first. <laughs> you went straight to sours. Amaretto sours. Oh, amaretto Cocktail, sours. cocktails. Nice. Yeah, they do it properly. <laughs> Yeah, so I was this, I needed to have something on the sweeter side to like to get into it. Yeah, to even to, stomach it. That's a good point. Even though I'm drinking like in Australia, they have a lot of mixed drinks, like pre mixes. Mm. I think they have that here a the little start, bit. It's starting to come up, but literally it's, like the '90s, like when we we're like 15, drinking those type of things. Yeah. Where like if you couldn't get someone, like that's what you would try and give me a bunch of cans of mm. different things. That would just like sometimes it was Jim Beam and Coke or like okay. some other like shitty vodka and yeah. rat, these fake tasting wow. raspberry stuff. Wow. So we were used to the sweet stuff too. And maybe that's yeah. why I didn't like it. I never thought about it yeah. like that. Yeah, it was like, point. So I wondered that if that was, you know, then I was doing, a, you know, graduated to different types of like, you know, vodka tonics and different, you know, I was not really a, much of a beer person. I would go right. out to different lounges and clubs and, and have like, Captain Morgan's and ginger ale and that kind of You're thing. Right. Yeah. So I wonder, that's probably good to give people like a sweeter type of beer mm-hmm. who are maybe coming off a liquor type yeah. of situation because yeah. it would appeal more. Mm-hmm. So it'd probably be some sort of fruited, maybe the sours probably yeah. probably a good thing. No, it, that might be the, the right way. I never thought of it yeah. like that. Yeah. That's smart. Um, what's your favorite style? Um, I, you know what? Yeah. I, it's changing. Right. I would Before I would have said, you know, East Coast IPA, New mm-hmm. England IPA. Um, I'm, my palate's getting a little bit exhausted right now. Yeah, I um, see that. So, currently, I would have to say a very 
very good, um, like barrel aged uh, sour. Okay. So something that's like either uh, something that's been barrel aged that's really like a, something with a lot of bread mm-hmm. that's maybe barrel aged for a year or two or shorter, um, but has a complexity that you can taste the barrel that doesn't taste like a kettle sour. Yep. That, that's not, to me, kettle sours are just kind of like one trick ponies, just tart. Yeah. Um, you may have a fruity kettle sour, but I, it's not what the flavor I want. I want something that, that has a lot more complexity mm-hmm. and that you can really uh, explore what yeast can do. Right. You know, that's so that, that's where I'm leaning towards now in terms of my palate. Like if you walked into a store or a bar, that's what you're kind of like shooting for? I, I would say so. That yeah. um, I, I still enjoy, but in small doses, uh, a really good barrel-aged imperial stout. Yep. Yeah, um, but I, again, it's, I, I'm not going to do even 12 ounces of it typically. Yeah, so, it's a lot. Um, but then, you know, I was in Vermont and I was, I, you know, had some amazing, you know, Hill Farmstead stuff. I think Abner... Fresh is a revelation. So, uh, how you doing? Good. No, right now, actually, we're in the middle of an interview right now. No, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I've, I've never had any Phil Thompson's stouts. I've only had the other stuff. I heard oh, it's pretty exceptional. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we had. I was surprised. It was a. Uh, I think it was it rested on coffee beans. There was definitely the presence of, of coffee, right? But imperial stout that was phenomenal. Just nice. the mouthfeel on it was superb. Oh yeah. Um, and then everything else we had. That's why I feel like I, it makes sense that they've been named the number one brewery in the world multiple, multiple times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. everything they touch is insane. Whatever Sean Hill is doing or directing is incredible. Directing is keyword. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, the opposite then what was your what's your least favorite style so maybe not that you hate it but yeah. just like you would be your uh, maybe last choice um, my last choice most likely would be um, it's a tough one it is a tough one because I feel like I like every style if it's executed well hmm. um, even we've had a, we had a rush beer on yeah that yeah, uh, comes up a lot from uh, uh, Jack's Abbey we oh, did yeah. a, a, take, yes. a tap oh, takeover yeah. recently with Jack's Abbey and Springdale. Mm-hmm. So they had every, you know, we had to try to diversify 12 taps with different styles. So they asked, do you want to do a rush beer? And I said, hell yeah. You know, and yeah. it was uh, fire in the ham, it was called. Right. So it's, it's <laughs> tastes like smoked ham. Literally. Yeah. And I love that style. Right. And other people were like, it, it took us maybe three weeks to kick. The six still got six, right? So a slim keg. So, but I thought it was phenomenal. So there are certain beers that, you know, I feel like as long as it's executed well, certain styles that I will love. Um, I'm not a big fan of fruited, uh, fruited IPAs, like blood, blood orange, like very citrusy IPAs where it's mm-hmm. not just from the hops, but they're doing a lot of adjuncts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a fan of... Also, fruited lagers like you no, know, like okay. the lime lager or something like that. Because right, right. to me, that reminds me too much of like the stuff that I'm trying to avoid that yeah. the macro world is doing. You know, that's so, true. Um, but I do enjoy just a very clean pilsner. Yes, you know, so. you can never go wrong. With yeah, that. I love that they come back. And then yes. it seems every brewery seems to be doing one. Yeah, like dry hopped or just like plain pilsner. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite beer city, destination, or country? San Diego. San Diego. San Diego. Um, I was just in. I just couldn't believe, and it was this is about four or five years ago. So 
still most of the stuff they were doing was, you know, West Coast IPAs at the time. And um, so I don't know what it's like now and how things have changed a little bit. But just the fact, just the embarrassment of riches out there. It's uh, crazy. To right? go everywhere and find really quality breweries was just yeah. amazing to me. I recently came back from Asheville. Loved Keep it. hearing about Asheville. Yeah. Asheville was fantastic. Yep. Um, but the, just the sheer number of quality breweries and even like a place like Stone, of course, it's very mainstream. Mm-hmm. But to be like in an amusement park of beer, yeah. to be surrounded by like you're in a freaking park, like wilderness in your... Everywhere you look, there's waterfalls, and it's like it's crazy, yeah. At the stone, in stone, yeah. Wow, they have two amazing facilities. So, in Asheville, in, no, 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 in in San Diego. I went back to San oh, Diego. Oh, I'm sorry, San Diego. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, we, yeah, they do the Escondido one or something, and then the other job. Yeah. We didn't go there, I just felt like we were there like two years ago, mm. and I was like, uh, I know it would be cool to see it, but yeah. like you got a short amount of time. I'm yeah, like, you rather visit, like, you know, I get it. But yeah, it was just cool to it's see. Worth going to, it's worth going just to, to see the, the, sc- the scale. Just the scale. And that same thing, we went to, in Asheville, we went to... Um, isn't it? Oscar Blues is out there, isn't it? I believe they do have facility Oscar Blues, but they it's have um, Sierra Nevada. That's what they So Sierra Nevada's facility, of course, like, they're a classic. It's a classic. And listen, I support independently owned breweries, right? Right. Um, no matter how big. Just because they're, and I feel badly sometimes for these breweries that are still making amazing beer, but now because they're so big and they're not as fashionable, mm. people overlook them. Right. So I still, I'm not necessarily wouldn't have it on tap, um, but I will still drink it and I'll still support it versus right. other something that's like you know owned. Uh, there's so many I can name now. Ballast points, and you could done a list yeah, of others that weed and whatever. you know we could weed. We went in just to see and to the Fungatoria, whatever yes. it was called. But how was it? It was okay. But I think yeah. just my mind was ready. <laughs> it was, was like, this is going to be whack. Yeah, because it was okay. It was beautiful, but I, I knew in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is all my fucking Budweiser. Yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, to see Sierra Nevada's facility, the space, to see yeah. what like a successful independently owned brewery could actually become right. was pretty amazing. Like just the, how many floors and like they had a whole exhibit of like, their history from their first bottle ever and that's you know and it, it was just really cool to see what what can be done with uh you know with a very successful brewery that hasn't sold to uh, ab and the, right and the, still growing to scale yeah which is sick yep. i guess you're right it wouldn't make a lot of sense to come to a beer bar and then have sierra nevada like you said nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. just it's just too mm-hmm. everywhere yeah so you yep. really want to come in together mm-hmm. that makes sense um, what was have you ever brewed before? I did. Yeah, I home brewed for about a, a little less than a year. I only had about five batches under my belt, yeah. but I loved it. Yeah, and I think it really taught me so much. A an appreciation for the art of brewing, um, to, you know, more knowledge of like of beer in general. You know, to do it yourself and mm-hmm. to understand how those four ingredients are are you know are making this magical thing happen. You know, so. Uh, I am so happy that I did. I still have, we have brewing equipment in the basement, um, home brewing equipment. And we were always saying a couple of my partners that we're going to start doing a few batches in the basement. But I don't know when there's time. I have a drum set in the basement. Do I play it? No. (laughs) Can you do that? If you brewed in home, can you serve it? Or is it? We would be able to serve it, but we couldn't charge for it. It would have to be like, give it out for free. Right, but hey, just like a little bonus batch like for the anniversary yeah. party or something yeah, like that. We, yeah, we could definitely throw it. If we actually kegged it, we can throw it on one of the lines. And, and that's probably because it wasn't made in a place that was like licensed to produce a 
alcohol yeah. product or something. Yeah, because we would have to be a licensed brewery to be able to sell it. Gotcha. Yeah. I guess good to know. I didn't know yeah. that. Um, what was the first one you brewed? What style? First one was, <laughs> it was supposed to be a you know New England IPA that turned out more to be kind of like a like a Scotch ale, but I still liked it. <laughs> it was definitely a fail, but a it still dark. tasted good though. It was, sticky and, uh, it was a little bit malt forward. Yeah, uh, the color was a little more amber mm-hmm. than it should have been. Right. Uh, but I thought it was just my first batch. I was like, oh my God, this tastes good. It's kind of just cool. Like, yeah. yeah. Just magically made this stuff. Exactly. And I got a little buzz off my own beer. I was like, this is great. I only spent $30 for all these ingredients. So. <laughs> got like Five gallons for it. Yeah. yeah, it was great. Um, what's your favorite hop? My favorite hop, I think, is Mosaic. Nice. I think it's a classic. And I want to say it's Mosaic because, um, you know, when I have single hop mosaic beers, IPAs, I enjoy them. And there's one particular hop that I can't stand, and I'm trying to figure out which one it is. What? Describe the... It, it, it's almost metallic. And I don't know if it's just I have metallic. a sensitivity to it, hmm. but there's a very metallic, which I used to think was more like a yeasty flavor. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just, it hits very dry, metallic, and very off-putting for me. And I am trying hmm. to figure out which hop it is, but it's funny. There's a story. Uh, I was up at a beer festival... Um, and it was an industry thing, just brewers and people in the industry. And I was talking to a brewer. I was like, oh, you know what? I don't know. What, do you know what hop this is? That's really pronounced. And I really can't stand it. He said, oh, but the brewer's right there. Let me ask him. Hey, hey uh, my buddy here doesn't like your beer. <laughs> what hop did you use? And he, he just gave us his glance. I'm like, I was like, oh, exactly. <laughs> Dude, you put me on bluffs. Yeah. I wonder what a metallic. I don't. Yeah, and I it think could, it could just be my. My particular palate has a sensitivity to that hop. It's kind of like people who like have coriander uh, or cilantro or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it tastes exactly. Like Especially, soap. yeah. Like yep. in, um, uh, is it Gozes? I think it's in Gozes or Wheat Beers. They've got coriander people. Yeah. Like, no, I can't yep. deal with that. Yeah, so Gozes could be definitely that. have them, yeah. Um, that's, that's kind of strange. I don't think I've heard that before. Yeah. So, um, I, so I don't know. I, <laughs> I have to figure out, yeah, because there are some, like, other people love that particular IPA. I'm like, oh. Do you know? Oh, so you know what beer it is? I'm I sure do. There is there is one. I don't want to mention. Yeah, we can it, we can do it after. But, uh, sure but yeah, but there is there out. is one um, that particular beer that I just can't stand. I've had it on tap and it does well, yeah. but I just I just can't. It'd be good to find out if you look it up, see what hops are in it, yeah. and then if you could try single and hop exactly, beers for, yeah. of each of those, hops. and then I'll know, and then you can figure and it out and get to the bottom of it. Yeah. Um, what did your family think of the whole situation? Now it's been almost two years. Like, how does everyone like respond? Um. I think the this is uh, the girls. My, our girls are seven twins, and um, I think they look back. They're very young now, and look back to see that their parents, and primarily the dad, who's the one who goes into work at the bar every day or most days, to look back and be like, wow, like dad owned a bar in New York City. Like, Man. wow, like how special that is. Um, and there's already a sense of that because one day one of our daughters was behind the bar, and her her uncle was like, you can't be behind the bar. Um, this is dad's bar. You have to, you have to be, she's like, no, this is a family bar. We all own this. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. So they already have that sense of like, sort of like what it means to, to right. be, you know, to own a bar and to have something that you can really call your own, you know? That is so cool. Yeah. What, um, do you, are, you, are you guys sort of imparting entrepreneurial kind of like, we, we try, we, but there's still that age right now that, you know, we're like, oh, you know, why don't you, you can start your own 
nonprofit or you can start like you have this thing that you want to do and and raise money for homeless you can start your own organization and and like, no mommy no daddy like they're kind of like pushing back right um on some of the ideas but uh but we try to i feel know? like it's good for a kid i think yeah i think that will soak it up maybe subconsciously mm-hmm. and just see mm-hmm. what you guys are doing and yeah. the, you know maybe like my parents owned a series of toy shops when i was eight mm-hmm. as well so mm-hmm. like seeing them they never forced me to mm. we talk about the other day i was like i wish they kind of like did but he would like sometimes take me aside and be like show me how to file things properly mm. like old school filing mm-hmm. cabinet and like just small things and i feel like some of that soaked up yeah so it's like mm-hmm. now I, I couldn't work for anybody exactly. like we do our thing so maybe yeah. they'll i think of, so and as they get older see mine was the opposite we had a toy shop which is cool when I'm 8 and then as soon as I'm 14 I'm like this is whack you know? mm-hmm. whereas they're the opposite they're going to turn 16 like that's like wow that's yeah. crazy yeah. like and they'll be the coolest mm-hmm. in their mates so mm-hmm. I feel like it'd be a, it's interesting I think so uh, you know and I think now that I've now two years in of having a taste of working for myself mm-hmm. it'll be very hard to ever work report somewhere and it has and, to be you know yeah. uh, Sit in sit in a in a meeting that I'm like oh god damn it why am I here right now? So, <laughs> 100% I hundred percent align our be our meetings uh, you know beer is required right oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a whole different type of meeting yeah I love that what is your favorite adjunct what's your favorite thing you like in uh, I okay I would say it's a tie between coffee and coconut uh, I think both work so well with yeah. obviously with stouts. Uh, but even uh, Finback, we made a beer and still make it called Smooth Beats Miami, which is a, co- a coconut IPA nice. that some people find a little strange because it's like, yeah. oh, this tastes like uh, suntan lotion or something but, <laughs> um, with hops. But uh, no, but I think it's so well executed and you wouldn't expect it to work with an IPA, but right. it's it's a great summer beer particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would say a tie between those two. Okay. Also, I was someone who... Hated peanut butter growing up, mm-hmm. and now oh, I'm a sucker for peanut butter imperial stouts. And I feel like other half has done a few that I'm like, oh man, killer! They've been coming up with their imperial stouts lately. They're like, and they're intense. They're not like, yeah. no, they're, they're like, like crazy dessert, fifteen percent <laughs> imperial stout. Yeah, it's crazy. Like it's too much. Yeah. So. Had, last last year, I bought two of them. They had like a. I like, what is it? I want some coffee with my cream and sugar. Mm, mm-hmm. And it was like 15%, yeah. I guess. It was just yeah. like a lactose milk stout with coffee and yeah. some other ridiculous one with hazelnuts and stuff. Like, they were rich. They were very, very well yeah. done. And 20 they had bucks a bottle or something. US, so it's actually 30% on that for us, too. Like, no, not cheap, but... And they had their Festival Pastry Town this year. Yeah. Which that. was all featuring beers like that. And I didn't go intentionally. I was like, I can't. <laughs> like, I'm going to die. <laughs> it's like death. Yeah. So, it's like again, like I enjoy to a point. Yeah. But I, I do like peanut butter. Um, but it's one of those things that four ounces. Yeah. I'm good with four ounces. Kind of yeah. I wonder how they do it at that festival. Like how much they give you in the thing if they're all well, so strong. Like it's probably like the same, a, same little, you know, you get a little tasting glass that's a good five ounce glass. They'll give you maybe two, three ounces worth. But you just keep going around and, you know, you have to have a lot of self-control. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Which a lot of people don't. Yeah. yeah. yeah beer festivals get messy. Yeah. Um, the most important question, top five MCs mm. and for you specifically, top five DJs. Oh, yeah. And that's I hear that one. being a DJ and yeah. that this is literally yeah. your business. Oh, yeah. So you can start however. And it's funny. to be in that order. Well, no, let's do the top five MCs. Now, okay. I can do them in order because okay. I just this weekend had a lot of time this weekend. We, were, we had a family <laughs> trip up to 
the last of a series of trips this summer and had a lot of time to finally work on it's been like all over Instagram of like yeah, the top 50 doing the top list. 50 so I did my top 50 oh you did it finally did it okay and I'm I'm in curious order, in it? order it, but oh. at first I did it and then my friend's like no you gotta do an order so I was like that's gonna take me forever but I actually <laughs> I was able to figure it out okay um, but I also did my top 50 underappreciated underrepresented uh, MCs too okay which I feel like is an interesting list because they're not what I consider my top 50, but 50 that I feel like should get more shine. Okay. Um, but my top five of all time, mm-hmm. in order, uh, I start with Rakim as the top. Okay. Um, and then Nas moved down a notch. Recently, he was my favorite MC for a long time, but he moved down after I really hated this new Lost Tapes too. It was oh, not so good. Awful. No. I mean, I know it's yeah. B-sides, but it yeah. was, yeah. It's it was like, it should yeah. worse. Yeah. I lost tapes. The first one was classic. Yeah. So. He just didn't need to release it. Didn't need to release it. So I, I was disappointed <laughs> by that. So, and then Black Thought, I feel like has been really proving himself. Yep. To be a stellar top tier MC. So now Black Thought has been number two. Okay. Nice. Uh, so Rakim, Black Thought, Nas, Farrah Manch, Andre 3000. Okay. That's, That's a great top, top five. five. That's, That's a great top five. five. So, and again, this is based on my subjective opinion <laughs> yeah. and my own personal history with hip hop. Yeah. Right. So of like the, those are the folks that really spoke to me. Is that your don't come for me? Um, like yeah, that's like that. Me. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. It's, like, it's my list. It's my list. <laughs> and and what are the top five underappreciated ones? I think that's a, uh, a cool. Concept. And and those I haven't put in order yet. Okay, so even if it's just random. But random, order. I would say, uh, would be someone like. Uh, El Zai, Ooh, um, uh, Terminology, Ooh, uh, uh, Sky Zoo, yes. Rex, and uh, and Torre. Yes. Uh, so those are that, that and there's another 45. But so I'm gonna yeah. I, I might release these on our Instagram page I, uh, and see all the controversy. Yeah. <laughs> I think you should do it. I might do it. I might do it. I love that. That's yeah. really great. I was listening to Sky Zoo walk around the other day. I just thought I need something like New York walk around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like, it just perfect. Like, like yeah. he was about to drop the Pete Rock. Yes, which I cannot uh, wait. Project. The yeah. single was sick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Was this single the beat that he did in '94, like from the Nas sessions or something, or was it off the album? I'm not sure. I wasn't too sure. I thought sure. that was such a. Yeah. Imagine that. that that's yeah. just so cool that he oh, has man. to do that. Yeah, I can't he wait to hear it. it. He's put in, put in time. He really put around. in time. So uh, you know, he needs to have more shine. I really think he's a great MC. Yeah, he was here for my birthday the other day. Yeah, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. He stopped by. Uh, they have a mutual friend, so no he passed by, which is really cool because he's been here a couple of times. See, that um, is sick to me that you're yeah. actually getting like legendary MCs coming. Oh man, and that's and that's been like as a as a student and and just a, such a a nerd and appreciator of hip hop to have people like Lodge Professor come and spin here or you know stretch walk in and hang out for a little bit. Uh, Grand Wizard Theodore spun here a couple of times, you know, the inventor of the scratch. So it's been just humbling to, to have people, you know, just walk in um, and come here and really appreciate what we built. So, That's amazing, man. So my top five DJs. Yes. Um, this one is a little more difficult because I didn't make a list, but okay. I'm going to just do it from the top of the head. Okay. Um, right now, my favorite DJ is DJ Coco out of Japan. Okay. Who is just like an alien dropped on earth with 45s who does stuff that turntablists can't even do well with 45s. And if you know a little bit about DJing with 45s, it's so much more difficult because you have to be so light on, you know, with your touch. Right, right. Because they can skip a lot easier. And he's just, it's just what he's doing. You know, his Instagram is very long, but if you just do like Google DJ Coco, K-O-C-O, 
Okay. Um, you'll be able to see. He does like these practice videos all the time. Okay. Um, he's incredible. So DJ Coco. <coughs> um, to put Rob Swift on there. Nice. Who's uh, a friend also. Nice. Spun here a bunch of times. Um, I will have to say, uh, rest in peace, Rock Raider. I was about to say Rock Raider, yeah. Um, uh, Q-Bert. Ooh. Uh, and, and then I have a whole separate list of my own other favorite DJs that are like people that I know well that I think are also don't then maybe those are like my underrepresented underappreciated list um, and then uh, oh god who would be the fifth oh you know who oh yes um, I think maybe um, Newmark maybe okay Maybe Newmark, because yeah. uh, New, uh, Newmark puts on these uh, horoscope videos and does any artist that's just born under that sign, and, and he'll do that. like all Leos or all wow. Tauruses, and and cool and it's just fantastic the way he's he puts together using all vinyl these Amazing. sets. So yeah, so he's on my top five right now as well. Okay. Yeah. And who would be the top five ones that you, you are sort of maybe friends with and sort of yeah, who bias. I'm just like who come here and spun here that I'm like, what the incredible DJ Ace who's now spun my birthday for two years in a row. Nice um, local Brooklyn cat DJ Ace, the crowd motivator, also for, 45 only who has his own uh, decks that he like retooled to make into like just 45 only uh, turntables that are like wow. portable. Okay. And the way he uses those and Same. his transitions and and he'll go through a whole stack of 45s in like two hours. Like that kind of 45 right. DJ. He's just amazing. Yeah. Um, so nice. he, um, along with uh, a DJ B, he's out in Virginia. I want okay. to say in Virginia. Um, who's spun here a couple of times. He also someone to check out. Um, incredibly skilled. And again, okay. I feel like not really recognized the way that he should be. Right, right. Um, uh, DJ Danger, who I um, humbly right. spin with, and every time I DJ with him, I'm like, oh, this guy's digging me through the dirt because I'm <laughs> so bad compared to him. Um, he's just an incredible, he's, he focuses a lot on hip hop, mm -hmm. um, but his cuts and the way he transitions and his knowledge of hip hop and the fact that he DJs only with vinyl and has an amazing collection of hip hop vinyl. DJ Danger is, is on that list as well. Okay. Um, and then Matt Farron, um, he spins here uh, just flawless. His, his, his sets that he creates, he spun, we, we went up to this place called The Vinyl Room, and I give a shout out to John from The Vinyl Room. They're a craft beer and record store up in Wappinger Falls. Okay. So we were, they came out maybe and opened their store about three months before we did. So there's a lot of love between us because uh, we have a similar concept, except we don't, actively sold these records. We will be selling records soon out right. of a different space. Nice. Um, so look out for that. But uh, the Vinyl Room is doing amazing things and bringing up amazing DJs up in like really the middle of nowhere up in Wappinger Falls, New York right. State. Okay. Um, but he uh, had us come up and spin alongside Large Professor. Damn. So we spun with Large Professor. Matt Ferrin opened up as, as a bunch of other DJs and his set was so good. And to like spin and have Large Professor with you. Yeah, be like, well, oh, what? Oh, <laughs> so, that's, that's, that's a big call. Yeah. Um, that's sick, man. And uh, two others, would I say. Um, I would have to give a, sh a shout to uh, DJ Prestige. He runs a, a site called Flea Market Funk. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, really just like a 
this dude is an encyclopedia on like rare funk 45s and soul 45s. And okay. he'll be like, he'll spin here and often I'll just be here like learning from him. And he's like, oh, you know, this 45 is on such such label. I'm like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> taking notes. Yeah. So it's, it's such a, an amazing education for myself. Someone like, obviously I have a big appreciation yes. for, for records and I've been collecting records for so long. Um, but I learned so much from so many, all of these DJs, not just from their knowledge of records, but from their techniques. And um, it's been so amazing to, to have this community of DJs come spin here. That's very cool. Um, and I think I have one more. Um, oh, let, let me see. Who am I going to add to that list? Seriously. Oh, you know, um, I'll, I'll say uh, this dude, uh, DJ Wolf. Okay. Um, he's... Uh, from the day day one, he started spinning here. He's been one of my favorite DJs. Nice. Spins for very large crowds uh, with uh, Mobile Mondays. Mm-hmm. Um, and such a skilled, technical, great DJ with a great ear. Spins incredible Latin music as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but does everything across the board from hit Latin to hip-hop to soul to break. So I've always enjoyed when he spins. That's great. Yeah. That's dope, man. You got some. Uh, it must be amazing coming from that culture and being a DJ and knowing like all of these individuals are either spinning right here or coming to the bar. Like that's sick. It's such a magic, and I, and I know my own shortcomings as a DJ. So to <laughs> to be able to provide a platform for people that are much more proficient than yeah. I am, um, and then learn from them, and to be just like this is how it should sound. Yeah. <laughs> or you know, like I I I spin. And I've been spinning for a long time, um, but I'm not the the cleanest. So. When I, you know, when I make a mistake, I'm like, ah. <laughs> and uh, so sometimes when the, another DJ makes a mistake, I'm like, oh, you're human. <laughs> yeah, you're like, all right, it's just me. Yeah. God damn it. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you for that. Of course. Um, did we want to, is there anything else we missed that we want to cover? Do was anything that you, yeah? Anything from yeah. your side? Um, I don't think so. I feel like we I covered like captured the essence yeah. of what you're sort of trying to do here and sort of what the New York scene is kind of looking like and, uh, what the, the the space that you've created? I think so. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I know we talked about one of the maybe focused a little bit on the social media or the uh, the crowdfunding campaign. That was the one thing I did forget to talk about. So you guys, you guys did do a crowdfunding campaign we did. coming into coming into opening it. the brew. So we did gloss over that. Uh, it's a problem with when we hang up beforehand. We just start talking about you stuff, and you kind of like yeah, no, of course. <laughs> um, so we were talking about that in relation to, say, the Crowns at Hobbs one. So yeah. we were involved with that and got to see that firsthand. So you guys did one uh, leading up to the December opening in exactly. 2017? Yeah. So we did it through Indiegogo. Yes. We decided on that platform because we weren't sure that if we would you know, reach our goal, we wanted to keep some of the money, right? Yeah. So, um, and it was a great platform for us. Um, you know, if anyone ever wants to pick my brain, but it, my wife is always like, you better monetize that, man, you know, <laughs> uh, and start a little consulting thing because, uh, you know, I did really develop a great method to the madness of crowdfunding. Right. And you both are aware of like, you know, of the steps it takes to pull off a very, uh, it's, it's not easy. You can't just uh, expect, you know, just put a video together and hope that people will back your campaign. So, no, um, but I, I had the luxury of working a part-time job like two or three times a week to really research successful campaigns, look at what they did, look at tons of videos that were hosted on the Indiegogo campaign on their site, Mm -hmm. as well as just like various things on YouTube and take notes, extensive notes on what we should do to pull off a successful campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
and different steps like and like a calendar like we're gonna do this on day one on day two we're gonna do this and day three we're gonna do this and um but i think the biggest thing in terms of our campaign was that i compiled a list of every single person i've ever known in my whole life wow of like 500 people or, or more and and i said to myself i am going to bother every single one of those people right and probably half of those people eventually uh gave something, whether it was $5 or whether it was 300 Right. Um, but the, cool. the fact that I was persistent to the point of being annoying probably, <laughs> but that was part of the uh, success of following up. And if I knew, okay, I'm going to send an email to this person. They didn't respond. I'm going to hit them up on Instagram. Uh, I'm going to send them a DM on Instagram because probably they check that more. Right. Or I have their phone now. I'm going to text them with the link because they, that might work. So it was like... It was. And it was personal contact the whole personal. time. It wasn't like a blast. I mean, you did that too, of right. course. You know, we, and then we had strangers that knew that we were coming to this neighborhood that now are our regulars because they feel like they have a sense of ownership because they gave $100 to the campaign. Mm. And now they're friends of the bar. Interesting. You know, and they just knew like, oh, there's a crappier spot open up. Let me see. Oh, this looks interesting. Let's, let's help them out. And you've seen that direct community buy-in physically from, yes and also like sort of emotionally now yeah. because they feel a part of it exactly. and they're bringing they're like no we're going to the bar around the corner yeah. that i now contributed to they whatever. did and they and they're they really are, are some of our best customers right and uh so yeah i think it's there's a huge value even if you don't need the money per se hmm. you have a lot of backers that are investors and don't need to do a crowdfunding campaign there's a, a huge value to raising awareness Hmm. Uh, of what you're trying to build and involving people in the community not just the local community but the larger community of it could be we've had a DJ from Jersey who now spins here right who heard about beer wax before we were even a thing physically mm-hmm. and also contributed right um, and his uh, perk was that I was going to send him five records that I was going to personally curate five records that I think people should have Right. And that was, I sent people a t-shirt, five records. I think it was like the $100 perk. And he loved it. He, there were four of those records he didn't have that he, one he had lost. Uh-huh. And somehow the universe was like, you need this record. And you, now you're getting it back from this random person's opening a bar. That's actually And now really he's cool. been here yesterday. He's our once a month Sunday guy. That's sick. Yeah. So. so do you feel like the impact on the business was, like, would you have... Would you recommend, I guess you just did recommend people, but you physically see, like you wouldn't, how am I trying to say? Would the bar be what it is without the crowdfunding campaign? I mean, we raised $35,000, so no. Not on a monetary you know, level, nor on the amount of like, awareness it raised. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to see, like, it, people were excited to see like we were getting close to the goal. We reached halfway to our goal in a week. And, and the energy around that and... It was just amazing and all the like the outpouring of positivity um you know on social media mm-hmm. on friends and oh my god you're almost there it's only been a week like what right so it was really uh very instrumental in in the early stages of our success hmm. did you have so the only like the, the in comparison to the crowns of hearts which is a re- recent one where they had built their audience uh, a very specific demographic too over mm-hmm. the last four or five years yeah did you have a similar thing where mm-hmm. you, because you'd been in the industry, so you had a rep, yeah, you had yep. your personal network mm-hmm. that you've mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm sure would include some industry folks, plus mm-hmm. the DJ stuff. So you're in two separate worlds yep. deep. 
as well that you could tap into? Mm-hmm. Like, did you did you have something that I mean, because that's pretty impressive to raise like fifteen plus grand in a week. Yeah. Um, did you have some sort of thing like that? No, I think, type of buy-in I, already. I think uh, I I mentioned this sometimes to newer bars, or sometimes I look at a bar that's opening up and I see their Instagram follower presence is maybe less than a hundred or two hundred, and that's right. for someone that is literally breaking ground on a new bar. I'm like, like what what have you been doing for the past two three years? Right. I started building the brand once I knew I have this idea. I'm like I I had the name. I started someone working on a logo three years before we even opened. Right. So I already started building the, the online presence and uh, the social media presence way before. So once we launched the crowdfunding campaign, we had at least 2,000 followers on Instagram. That's um, what, what were you posting about? We, and beer and, and vinyl. So literally, I would, I would take a record, take a, a can... Right. And I would see something that either because of the color scheme would match or the theme thematically would match. Liquid Swords, uh, Oxbow has a, a beer called Liquid Sorry, Swords. Washroom, yeah. <laughs> and boom, with Jizz's Liquid Swords. And that yeah. would get over 100 likes. Um, and, or anything related to craft beer. If I went to a brewery, I'd post that. If I, if I was you know, talking to you know, a legendary M- MC or anything that was on brand. So it was treated at like... Like Chris's account, essentially, like yeah. Chris's personal beer yeah. journey yeah. account. Did you insinuate, or whether like like obviously or not, in the bio that craft beer and vinyl bar opening soon? Or? Eventually, when I knew that that was actually going to happen, then those posts became about that. Like, oh, I'm marrying. You've been on this journey about these two things that are unrelated, maybe, but now we're going to make them related and opening in the spa. Mm. So now right. come on this journey with us. So. I see. So that's smart. Yeah. That's, that's actually really good advice for anyone trying mm-hmm. to do that. I guess it's a similar, you basically did the same type of thing where you had a community buy-in. Yeah. Very similar right. to Open Dank before they right. were Crowns and Hops. Yes. Yeah. You know, they are masters of marketing and they were, yeah, they you know, they spent a long time developing their brand um, yes. and a community. So yes. uh, if there's anyone to really follow and to see how they kind of did that is, is them and Tio and Benny really right so. I wonder if they did, did you connect with them around the time you'd opened or was it after no it was after it was after we already we had opened already right, okay. yeah. I was wondering if they saw um, what you did I don't even think and, they were aware of it yeah, no? at the time yeah. interesting Yeah. so that's really cool because like I've like we've never had I think we were saying earlier not like not, not positive but I always thought crowdfunding was such hit or miss mm-hmm. and it was generally speaking just not really worth the effort mm. until we saw like it was crazy because they were traveling I think they'd just been here and they would probably just got to the UK on that last night mm-hmm. and it was like literally an hour to the end of it and, and they, we're just like re- doing everything we can to mm-hmm. push it all mm-hmm. and, it, and it got over the edge like mm-hmm. within I think about literally one or two hours to spare yeah uh, did you have a similar situation did it get like to the wire or did no. you kill it beforehand we did like a week before we reached oh a week we hit wire, a, really? yeah we hit 30 and our goal was 30 we hit 30 i believe like at least five or six days before nice and then, people and then the last week in. was just like people kept donating and then we we exceeded it by five thousand. that's sick. so See, that's really which was cool. great because then of course you they take a percentage indiegogo three and then I believe, right? yeah, yeah and then you have to you know fund everything you promised to people so that's talking about t-shirts talking about records that i'm giving people um, and that comes out of that. Third, that comes out exactly. So to luckily get the extra, get the extra. Essentially, so now we can that. actually, I mean, then pay taxes on it a little bit. So you know, but now we're talking about a sizable amount that we directly right away spent on things for the bar. 
Right. You know, so it really made a difference. It's a huge guys. difference. But you did it right. So I mean, a lot of people might think it's like the easy way. You just no, you can make a quick video and mm-hmm. put it out there. But I think it's yeah. difficult. You need you to have... spend time if you want to. And they say only a quarter of campaigns actually even reach a ten thousand dollar goal. Right. So the, the the percentage of failure is huge for a Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Um, so you have to really go into it with a plan. Right, no. which is very, we were talking about that before, as mm-hmm. far as like you prepared the video, you prepared all your content, yeah. you had everything kind of ready to roll out, yeah. and that yeah. probably came from an understanding of social media that mm-hmm. you had beforehand, so yeah. you're like, well, I've been doing this, cultivating a, mm-hmm. a following, I know what I'm doing, yeah. and you did it properly, and mm-hmm. you know the results speak for themselves. Yeah. yeah, I think just some people just think it's really easy, so mm-hmm. it's... Uh, that probably is, and a lot of people don't have an understanding of uh, how social works and how to leverage anything else. Although maybe people who, like you mentioned, a new bar who's starting mm-hmm. to open, they'll mm-hmm. have two hundred followers or yep. less than a hundred followers, and not even leverage social media exactly, and Which just is, pop it out there. Yeah, or hope little, that people just look for stuff to, to exactly to back, mm-hmm. which is kind of strange. Yeah. Okay, that's great. No, man. I think we uh, I think we captured everything pretty well. Cool, man. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Where can everyone find? Beerwax online, whether social or uh, website. Yeah, great. So uh, our website is just beerwax, B-I-E-R-W-A-X.com. Mm-hmm. Social media on all platforms. Uh, Instagram is where we really update the most. So yep. that's just B-I-E-R-W-A-X. Um, it's also Twitter. It's also Facebook. But we spend a lot more time on Instagram right. uh, than we do on the other platforms. So definitely follow on Instagram. Also, keynote that you have the uh, one of our things we do in our social media stuff, the consistent handles. Mm-hmm. He's like, beerwax everywhere. Yeah, you're not like beer underscore wax BK or somewhere else. Like none of that nonsense. No, no, no. It's just beer wax. B A R W X. Yep, love it. Yep, my man. So. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Of course. So guys, if you're ever in Brooklyn, make sure you come down here, Prospect Heights. What's the address? Address is five five six Vanderbilt Avenue. That's between Bergen and Dean in Prospect Heights. And like two or three blocks from the Barclays, from Barclays Center. Center. So if you yeah. go see a, a show, you know where you need to go afterwards. It's a really good location. Right? Oh man, it's been Perfect, amazing. Right? It's been yeah. great. Perfect. Um, so, guys, thanks so much for watching and listening. If you enjoyed the episode, made smash the thumbs up, hit subscribe below, hit the notification bell so you know when the new stuff drops. Follow us on social media at BOS Podcast. Check out the long form audio so you can hear legends like Uncle Chris talk about craft beer in New York. That is it. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next episode. Cheers. Peace.